Forrest Gump v. Will Hunting, Hannibal Lecter v. Ghostface, Ghost v. Vampires, Ghost v. Titanic, Eddie Murphy v. Jim Carrey, Adam Sandler v. Jim Carrey, Robin Williams v. Jim Carrey, Dinosaurs take on Mummies, Woody and Buzz battle Ethan Hunt, Steven Spielberg versus Steven Spielberg. Multiplex Madness Forever officially begins on this, the 144th episode of What's in the Box Office. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What's in the Box Office. I'm your host, Brian. I'm your host, Noah, and of all those matchups, I think the matchup I most want to see is, like, newly learning he's a ghost Patrick Swayze, Mm -hmm. like, running around the Titanic and, like, making weird faces and, like, shouting at everyone, like, can't you see me? I think uh, uh, before Swayze passed, there was an equal opportunity, a huge opportunity to have newly... Realize he's a ghost, Swayze, de-aged, obviously, uh, palling around with newly realized he's a ghost, Bruce Willis. Oh, hey. <laughs> and they could be going adventures together. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, wild, that's my wild, dream. Wild, wild disparity in, uh, like, tones in that friendship. Swayze's well, they're like, both ah! up, and Willis they're would both just be like, huh. Is Swayze like oh, yeah? I don't. I don't remember him. Yeah, he's really fucking yelping. goofy. Oh, no, I don't, I've seen no, that he, movie. I don't know how much he is. He does he, when he, he he is when he's like trying to when he's frustrated when he's trying to get someone's attention. But he's, he he goes really big mm. uh, early on in that movie. Okay, you've in seen a, him more recently a, than I have, so I take in, in a way in a way that I did not like. <laughs> wow, a preview. <laughs> Um, I pre- in that intro, I probably okay, should have said... I don't said, like Titanic earlier. I've I, spoiled nothing. I probably should have said Ghosts v. Vampires because it's multiple ghosts in The Sixth Sense. And it confused me because when I said it, this is, you know, I wrote this on Friday. And now it's Sunday and when I said it, I thought, go, oh, right, Ghosts against Interview. And then I was, oh, no, right, Ghosts versus Titanic. That makes a lot more sense. So anyway, let's get into it. Uh, Multiplex Madness... Forever, we're officially beginning the tournament because the matchups officially begin. We're going to knock some movies out. Uh, we're looking for the greatest blockbuster of the 90s. And this is the, the meat of it. This is what's exciting. It is. Yes. I'm, uh, I've, I've said it many times. I feel like this tournament might be, our, might be our most exciting yet, just with our relationship to the movies being so different. Mm-hmm. Uh, very curious to see if Titanic is going to have... Uh, the same kind of run that Avatar did, where it just uh, like smooth sailing, just crushed. Yeah, it just it just blew so, through. Its so I don't think it will speak. Yeah. I said it's going to smooth <laughs> sailing, so to speak. Uh, I think the uh, the drama division always a lot hardier competition than the action division. Well, especially because I think this more than our other ones. Well, on the first tournament, we obviously didn't have a drama division, but on the last one, this is full of blockbusters. Like this is full of big, big movies and drama. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would not at all be surprised to see the winner come out of here. Well, the winner came out of there last time as well. So let's see if it's going to go two for two. We're doing four. That's a good point. We're doing four divisions here. Uh, This is the round of 64 part one. The, in the we're doing basically the whole Godfather conference, the Spike Lee division, the Mel Brooks division, the John Carpenter division, and the Steven Spielberg division. 
Noah, go over our brand new, it's a new tournament. We wanted to kind of, even though we didn't get rid of the problem that I thought we might have during our last tournament, we have adapted our scoring system slightly to re- reflect the times. Noah, tell the listeners about our new scoring system. Yeah, well, so uh, as you all know, we used to have the impact upon release category uh, where Brian and I would share our thoughts, our remembrances of what the sort of cultural zeitgeist was like at the time. Uh, Being uh, small children during the 1990s weren't really connected, didn't quite have our finger on the pulse of the cultural zeitgeist of Forrest Gump at all. Uh, so we've gotten rid of that. And instead we've split legacy into two. We have the legacy of the movie and sort of the broader legacy of the parts of the movie. And it's a little, uh, it's a little murky. It's a little, little defined, but I think we're going to navigate our wealth, our way through it quite nicely. Right. So you use an example as far as last tournament's winner. Crouching Tiger and Dragon would be divided into the legacy of the movie, meaning martial arts films, foreign language films, uh, films of its ilk and how popular that became or if that was a lasting thing. And then uh, of those involved. So it was a big, Ang, Ang Lee was pretty established, but it was a big launching pad for him, for Z Zhang Z and uh, 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 Yun Fat and Michelle Yu and so on. So those are the, those are the, yeah, two that, that movie is a big part of all of their careers. Yeah. And so, uh, it would do would pretty well. A high score. Yeah, it would do pretty well there. Okay, so let's begin with the matchups in the Spike Lee division. These are the drama films named for uh, Spike Lee. And our matchups are the one-seed Titanic versus the eight-seed Ghost, the four-seed Forrest Gump versus the five-seed Goodwill Hunting, the three-seed Pulp Fiction versus the sixth-seed The Fugitive, and the dreaded Spielberg face-off face-off to come next week, but the Spielberg face-off, Saving Private Ryan, the second seed, versus Schindler's List, the seventh seed. So, here we go. Uh, let's get into our first matchup, Titanic v. Ghost. So, Titanic released December 19th, 1997. Opening weekend, $28.6 million, a final gross of $600 million. Ghost was released July 13th, ni- uh, Friday the 13th, spooky, Ghost, 1990. Opening weekend, $12 million. Final gross, 217 So if I'm not mistaken, Noah, we do this where we do the first two categories. So, so the, the the games, as this is a basketball uh, thing, um, is uh, quality of movie, bigger profit relative to the budget, and uh, uh, harder road to success, and then the two legacies. So... Correct me if I'm wrong. We do the first two, and then maybe harder road, and then I go through the stats. Is that kind of how we did? That it? is correct. Okay, great. So let's do that. So let's do the math one first because it's the one we can't really discuss because it's just written out in plain math language. The bigger profit relative to budget. Well, Titanic had a budget of two hundred million dollars. It was the most expensive movie of all time. Gross one point eight billion for a profit of nine hundred percent. Ghost. Cost $22 million and it grossed uh, worldwide $505 million. That's a profit of 2,295%. Game one goes to Ghost. That is a, a surprisingly small number for Titanic. And I guess it's because its budget was huge. Yeah, this is, you know, really this time more than the last tournament, I've realized that the smaller the budget you have, the more. Um, 
closer your final gross can be, and then your profit's still big. But once that budget goes up, you oh, really yeah. need to create distance from it in order to get a big. There, there's a movie. Uh, I think it's net. Uh, no, it's probably going to happen here. But I feel like Jurassic Park is like sixty-three and nine hundred worldwide, and then another one is like. 30 and 250 and then the 30 and 250 is just more of a profit even though Jurassic Park made 900 million like it's just a weird math is so weird it certainly is um why I chose not to pursue it point one farther than I did that's why you looked at you like this is weird (laughs) your math teacher said stop raising your hand to say that um Game one goes to Ghost. Quality of movie. No, you re- I, I rewatched Ghost at some point during this quarantine. I don't know when. Uh, for the first time in... What's what's that from? For the first time in forever. What Frozen. is that? Oh, right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, anyway, for the first time in forever. And you watched it for the first time uh, in ju- I, at, at all. Recently. My first time properly watching it, yes. I, uh, there was an incident I, in a I've bar. Where you, we I, ha- I, have, I have seen most of Ghost on mute at a bar. Uh, but yes, this is my first time properly sitting down to watch Ghost. How did it go? I, How did it go? It. I think it starts out pretty rough and then like kind of smooths out to be okay. Okay. But like, I don't know. I, Directed Ghost by Jerry really, Zucker, Ghost, Noah. Ghost didn't really work for me. Do you know Jerry Zucker? I know his name. He directed it. He also directed Airplane. Okay, that's why I know his name. Yeah. Maybe that's why Patrick Swayze was so fucking silly. <laughs> Maybe. When he found out he was a ghost. Just a lot of a lot of big movements and broad faces. I that... truly don't recall the I feel I think you're thinking of the nutty the beginning of the nutty professor. <laughs> But I really don't recall Patrick Swayze being that unhinged in this movie. Um, I remember. They, I don't, I don't know that I'd say unhinged so much as I'd just say, like, not good. Okay. Uh, I remember them having the quintessential late 80s, early 90s apartment. I mean, that thing is just huge and vivid. Oh, sure. And yeah, it's ca- cavernous. And- boy, oh, boy, do I like that apartment. Um, and then Whoopi Goldberg is a delight in it. She won an Oscar for this, Noah. Yeah, she did. Which, like, I mean, good for her, I suppose. I don't know about that one, but... You don't think Whoopi Goldberg should have won an Oscar for this? I don't know. Maybe. No, I'm not going to... Do you know any of the people she was nominated against? The answer is no. No. So, there you go. I guess technically you've seen Goodfellas, but... And, um, yeah, like, as a... uh, as a firm supporter of Marissa Tomei deserved that Oscar. Damn it. Like I'm, I'm not going to shit on Whoopi here. Good for her. Sure. Uh, it was also nominated for film editing, original score. What did you think of the big moment? Oh, my darling. Uh, I, I crumble for your touch or something. Yeah. I think it's hunger. Though the sculpting crumble would work. I seemed messy. You didn't think that was sexy. No, boy, this movie I thought, didn't work for you. At I all. thought the mud seemed unpleasant. Like oh, just, boy. just they're covered just in mud. Yeah, they're just getting in it. He wraps yeah, his big arms mud. around like, her. Yeah. How about Demi Moore no. in this movie? She, I think she does a very underrated job. I think she's very effective in this. Yeah, I, I thought she was fine. I have no no com, no particular complaints. She's very cute in this movie. It's a it's a good haircut for her. Sure. Was there anything you liked about Ghost? 
Yeah, I mean, I did. I did think Whoopi Goldberg was good. Uh, I I enjoyed sort of the ghost training montage when he goes and hangs out with that dude in the train. <coughs> did that dude scare you? That that's that's the subject of a lot of nightmares for kids who saw this when they were too young. That guy in the train. Okay. The first time he I could see up, that. Just go get off my train. Yeah. Yeah. His long face. Yeah. Yeah. Another uh, another guy very very broad in his performance there, sure. which like worked better. Tony Goldwyn's pretty broad in this. He's a murderer of sorts. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ghost was a saw that one coming. Well, sure. He's the only other person in the movie. Uh, all right. So then, uh, of of these two movies, I we how, how do, tell the people who probably aren't regular listeners how you feel about Titanic though. I well, not really fond of that either. <laughs> Uh, it did grow in esteem the last we watched it for a podcast uh series we were doing called and the podcast goes to and I, you liked it more you we we hated yeah, it in high I, school. I think we I, on the... I I think I respect Titanic more than I used to mm, okay but but still just sitting down to watch that I was kind of ready to come out the other side and be like yeah I actually like you know me being a snotty teen aside like Titanic's good right and I still, it's just, it's still, it still doesn't work for me, but. And, it, and, y- and yet here your quality of movie goes to Titanic. Yes. Yeah. It does for me as well. I'm a bigger fan of ghost than you are obviously, but it, it is Titanic. It's just a better made movie as far as, you know what it's, what Titanic lacks in script wise and just, you know, being such a basic fucking plot of a movie. It's technical merits really do a lot of that heavy lifting. I mean, it's truly impressive what they pulled off in that movie. Sure. All right, so the it's tied up one one. What's next? Harder road to success. Yeah, that is correct. Um, uh, well, you know, Titanic went through famous uh, pre production issues, doomed from the start. It was the release date was moved a bunch, but at this, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio wasn't a thing. Kate Winslet wasn't. It was really going off of like it being just a big effects movie and James Cameron having done T two and True Lies in the nineties. So in that regard, you know. It really was pegged as like this big disaster, and oh, isn't it going to flop? Even if it wasn't, it made six hundred million dollars and was the first movie to make over a billion worldwide. And not only did it make over a billion, it made one point eight billion worldwide. Yeah. So there's that, and then Ghost. You know, I don't think Demi Moore was that. She's she was bigger in the nineties uh, than she was in the eighties. Patrick Swayze. The same. This is before Point Break. Uh, after Dirty Dancing, though. So I'll give him that. But for a movie like Ghost, 217 could be considered the equivalent of $600 million for a movie like Titanic. That's an insane amount of money for the Ghost. But it is, it is, it is really an insane sum of money. But I think it's probably a step too far to say it's the equivalent mm-hmm. of Titanic Six, uh, just because Titanic was the highest-grossing movie of all time. There is no equivalent. Uh, so at at that time, and I could be wrong, someone can correct yep. me, but I believe Jurassic Park was the highest grossing film domestically with three fifty seven. I think. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's possible that Star Wars had Star Wars may have had its its big re release, you know, in ninety January of ninety seven, to get ready for after it was announced that they're making the the prequels. That may have pushed it higher than Jurassic Park. I don't know. It's probable. But even still, nothing had made anywhere near 600. 
at the time. So keeping that in your mind, if I were to write down on a piece of paper, Titanic makes 600, when you know that the highest grossing so far is 350 and possibly a little over four for to, for a re-release of Star Wars, yeah. and Ghost is going to make 217, which one do you think is, is more possible? I More possible? I think Ghost. Okay, so then you, do you think your vote will go for Titanic here? It would. I think, I think especially, gonna... I think especially with all the, uh, you know, all the pre-production issues that you were talking about. Yes. Like the the narrative was not in Titanic's favor when it came out. There's the uh, terrific story of um, disgruntled crew member gave everybody like violent diarrhea at the rap mm. party. You you know the and story, that, right? And that crew member was Jared Leto. <laughs> no, I don't. You don't know that story. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna look it up while we talk. But that, uh, I, I agree with you. I think 600 is just an insane amount of money. Even now, it is. You yeah. know, 23 yeah. years later. So I also give that to Titanic. Titanic leads 2-0. two zero. Two to one. Two to one. Fact. What's our? Right, so uh, so what's now our we, uh, so now we move on to the legacies. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I think we start with the legacy of the movie itself. Okay, so then uh, yeah. I, I'll, I'll I'll read the stats we have here. Titanic was the number Please. one film of 1997, number one at the box office for 15 weeks in a row, number one movie of all time, the number one film worldwide. It has a 75 on Metacritic, 14 Academy Award nominations. It won 11 Time Ben Hur for the most wins, uh, including picture and director, obviously. Ghost was the number two film of 1990. 52% on Metacritic, five Academy Award nominations, including Picture, and two Academy Awards, Supporting Actress, and Original Screenplay, Noah. That's, it's, it's not bad. Those are both the, those are both high-level categories, but not bad. the two is smaller than 11. Okay. Math may be weird, sure. but in this case, it's not. So uh, if we're talking about the legacy of the movie. Yes. I think Titanic takes both legacies. I, I think Titanic... De- oh, yeah. I think that's true. Uh, just in terms of the legacy of the movie, like Titanic is beloved. Mm-hmm. It was a long-running, highest-grossing movie of all time. Right. It, uh, it kind of catapulted James Cameron from, like, really good, really successful director to, like, a tier of his own. He announced it on television when he accepted the award for Best Picture. Do you know what he said? He said, I'm king of the world. Very famously, I'm king of the world. I, yeah. Uh, Which, like, on the one hand, like, all right, James. But on the other hand, you just won, like, 11 Oscars. Fine. You go yeah. ahead and say it. You've earned No, because he fucking was. And yes. Yeah. And yeah. still is. We'll <laughs> uh, see what he is. And, and it's, all, it's also just, like, beloved by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it, people love Titanic. It's a very, it's, it's how it made $600 million. It uh, has, you know, it has so many. Like, quotes it has so many scenes it is a a musical score that you recognize instantly yeah the song the terrible song mm-hmm. uh, is still it's is not, still part of it bad. yeah I, I, oh come on <laughs> no i'm uh, i'm i'm not in i'm not here for that song but it's part of the legacy all the same i think titanic takes uh takes the legacy of the movie and if you want to move right into uh, well that 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 clinches it for titanic i believe it does yeah but if we're if just to dip our toes into legacy i think ghost has the whoopee win 
It has the pottery scene and Patrick Swayze, who left us too soon. Uh, it's a huge moment for his career. And, but Titanic, you know, as far as cementing James Cameron, it launched the careers of Kay Winslet and specifically Leonardo DiCaprio, who remains yeah. our most prized uh, box office. I, I, think, I think Titanic launching Leo is going to be one of the bigger. Yeah, it's going to be real tough. Broader legacy pieces. It's going to be real tough to beat that. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. So, so yeah, almost a, predictably, uh, Titanic does move on. Uh, but Ghost was able to take at least one, so that's nice. Yeah, Titanic moves on to the uh, th- round of thirty-two. There's no name for the thirty-two right now. Correct. By the way, here's the Titanic story. During a shoot in Canada, an angry crew member put the disassociative drug PCP into the soup that Cameron and various others ate one night in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. It sent more than 50 people to the hospital, including Paxton. Jesus. There were people just rolling around completely out of it. Some said they were seeing streaks and psychedelics, said actor Louis Abernathy. Cameron managed to vomit before the drug took full hold. Abernathy was shocked at the way he looked. One eye was completely red, like the Terminator eye. Cute, James Cameron. A pupil, no iris, beat red. The other eye looked like he'd been sniffing glue since he was four. The person behind the poisoning was never caught. Oh, wow. Isn't that just a terrific bit of trivia? It that is. Somebody put PCP in. And just the fact that he put it in like soup yeah. is very never funny. Heard, never heard that before. Really? Yeah. It's one of my favorite uh, show business stories. Our next matchup. Uh, this is a big one, folks. The four seed Forrest Gump versus the five seed Good Will Hunting. Force Gump was released July 6th, 1994. Its opening weekend was $24 million. Final gross, 329 You know what's going to be fun, Noah? Is when what? we read all of these, all, most of these opening weekends are going to be tiny, and the gross is going to be enormous. Yeah. And in our current box office minds, we're going to say, wow, how did that happen? But back then, that was just... It's just how it, it worked. It wasn't par for the course, but it was more normal that <laughs> movies just stuck around for months and months and months. Yeah. Goodwill Hunting was released December 5th, 1997. Its opening weekend uh, was a $10 million ex- expansion. You know, it opened in a few theaters first, so I want the expansion. Final gross, 138. All right, bigger profit relative to budget. Well, Forrest Gump cost $55 million. That's a final gross of 678. Profit of 1232. Goodwill Hunting had a budget of $10 million. Its gross was 226. That's a profit of 2,259%. See, that's what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. 55, but the gross seems so much bigger. And 10 million to 226 seems like, oh, well, obviously Forrest Gump's going to win. It costs more, but it made way more. Not how it works for some reason. No, not even close. Goodwill Hunting, twice as good. Goodwill Hunting takes game one. Quality of movie. I did not end up watching either of these. Uh, you know, I've 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 watched for. I had the VHS of Force Gump. I've watched it since I was a kid. Uh, I do still love it, even if it's for nostalgia purposes. I th- we we also watched it for that um, podcast series that yes. we did, and I liked it just as much. I mean, I, I get why people think it's hokey. I think it's a it's a it's a terrific journey through um, America and the culture. You know, through the war, through the, you know, it, it's, it rides this wave. It connects music to those times. Um, I think there's a lot of really smart shit going on in it. It's got a great central performance. It's a classic. 
Goodwill Hunting, though, really has my heart. There's something very visceral when I watch that movie. I think everything is pitch perfect in that. And so even though I didn't watch Forrest Gump again, I'm going to go with the one that's sticking with me right now, and I'm going to go with Forrest Gump. No, I'm sorry, Goodwill Hunting. (laughs) (laughs) Threw me for a loop there. Yeah, I had that whole speech, and I was also staring at Goodwill Hunting. I I think these movies are an interesting matchup just in that they're both kind of like quintessential 90s sincerity movies. Like there's no, neither of these movies has really any sort of edge at all. Even, even though like they occasionally venture into dark subjects. Yeah. Like they're, they're just both very sort of like shiny and like the music swells it's and all that uh, all that Uh, good 90s stuff a movie that stars forrest gump can't be dark and a movie that has a musical score by elliot smith also cannot get that dark just like not it's too gentle of a tune but uh i feel i just for me like goodwill hunting works way more i i don't i don't i don't dislike forrest gump but i do think it's like it's kind of lame it's a little Mm -hmm. lame uh, whereas Goodwill Hunting just like just works completely still, uh, even in a modern eye, I, uh, I take Goodwill Hunting here for sure. Two zero for Goodwill Hunting is Forrest Gump about to be swept? Well, let's take a look. So, harder road to success. Tom Hanks at this point had big, and that was about it as far as huge hits. Uh, the forthcoming a League of Their Own made a hundred million. Philadelphia made ninety. You know, Sleepless in Seattle made um, a little, you know over a hundred, but nothing to this degree. And uh, again, three twenty nine is an obscene sum of money in nineteen ninety four. That is truly a baffling figure. Goodwill Hunting. You know, Ben and Matt hadn't. They were actors. They had done movies, but they hadn't really done too much. Gus Van Sant. Same thing, uh, mainly indie projects for Gus. Um, Robin Williams, obviously a huge star, right? Huge star. Sure, yeah. And so I think that when look and you know we we could talk about Robert Zemeckis and he. I, I, th- I think we should. Okay, he was a big blockbuster director. Back to the Future, Who Who Framed Roger Rabbit? But for me, I think that 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 discrepancy of gross. And, you know, Goodwill Hunting Grossing 138 is just an indie movie back then that really hits with the, with, with, just really hits. You know what I mean? It, it just gets into the mainstream and it becomes a big gross. That's not entirely uncommon. Forrest Gump making 329 is in, it's, you know, it was a year. Okay. So what I had said before, I'm pretty sure Jurassic Park, which we'll talk about later, um, Gross 357 a year earlier? Yeah, I think 93. And so this coming just underneath what was the highest grossing movie of all time at the time? I'm 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 giving this to Forrest Gump. I think that that's a crazy amount of money for a 3-hour, you know, drama about a guy who talks funny. I think that's a I think that's probably fair. I I feel like I feel like Tom Hanks might have been a little more just kind of on people's radar then then you're giving him credit for at this time that's Uh, possible just like big i'm just i just pulled up his uh, just pulled up his imdb like big may have been his only 
like huge hit, his biggest hit so far. Uh, but just in just looking at how uh, how quickly in '92 and '93 he put out League of Their Own and Sleepless in Seattle, and then won an Oscar for Philadelphia, uh, mm. and then led right into Forrest Gump. Like I yeah. bet, I bet, I bet our guy had some momentum. Sure, but I think you're a. I think the gross argument is convincing to me. I, w- I went into this thinking like, well, it's goodwill hunting for sure. It's a, bu- it's a bunch of no names. And like, uh, the Gus Van Sant little, little indie darling at the time, but I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about Robin Williams, uh, which was foolish. That's the, uh, Robin Williams, big part of it. And you know, if Forrest That's... Gump was pulling in ghost numbers, I think that we have a conversation, but sure. 329 is just crazy. Yeah. So uh, I will uh, I will vote Forrest Gump here as well. All right, so it's one to two in favor of Goodwill Hunting. It is. So let's get into legacy of the movie itself. Yes. Um. Well, Forrest Gump led to a successful chain of restaurants. I suppose. I did. The, did those restaurants come from the movie? Yes. Oh. Bubba Gump Shrimp. That was the name of the shrimp company that they. I know, but I thought I thought like everything else, it was like a commentary on a shrimp restaurant that existed. Bubba Gump Shrimp Company, inspired by the 1994 film Forrest Gump. Oh my god, that's. It started in 1996 in Monterey, California. That's upsetting. Two years after the movie came out. <laughs> you don't see you don't see a lot of you don't see that related ever. restaurant franchises. I mean, as much as Kevin Smith is trying, you really don't see them all that often. No. Uh, so good for them, I guess. But like, they're already bad. But now they're like a Forrest Gump themed restaurant. That's sure. that's super weird. I uh, so sure famous chain of restaurants. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what else to say about either I of mean, these as far as the legacy of the type of movie and just the movie. Well, itself. I mean, we've got the uh, you know you got you got to talk about the awards wins. Oh, you're right. Forrest Gump was the number one film in 1994, 82 on Metacritic, 13 Academy Award nominations, six Academy Awards, picture, director, actor, screenplay, uh, and I think uh, maybe editing and certainly visual effects. Goodwill Hunting, 70 on Metacritic, nine Oscar nominations, two Academy Awards. What were they, Noah? Uh, They were uh, screenplay and supporting actor? That's right. Williams got his Oscar for it. All right, good. Um, I, I I think I, the legacy of the movie. I don't know. I I probably would go with Forrest, but yeah, you... I think I think it's tough because you know you try to you try to think of like what you know. Obvi- obviously, broadly speaking, both of these movies are beloved to this day. Yes, uh, For Forrest Gump has its detractors, but I think uh, I think eight times out of ten a person will be more likely to say Forrest Gump is like one of their favorite movies, one of the greatest of all time than they are to say like Forrest Gump sucks. I'll call my mother. She'll tell you. Sure. So, uh, so I'm, I'm comfortable saying both movies are like more or less equally beloved. Right. Uh, and Goodwill Hunting also has its detractors. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's true. I do want to say uh, Forrest Gump, you know, you've got, uh, you've got, some some all-time quotes. Oh my some, god. Some absolute top tier. Run forest run. Life uh, is like a box life of chocolates. Like a box of chocolates. Uh, yeah. 
Is he gonna be like me? Oh god, that right. scene destroys me. There's so but many like of good, them. Yeah. Oh, like Goodwill Hunting does too. Uh, does it have the quotes? It, I mean, it has certainly one. The uh, yeah. it's, not, it's not your fault. Oh, how you like them apples? Come oh, on. Of course, of course, of course. I, Do you like apples? Yeah. I think they both have sort of, uh, yeah. they both have like iconic performances, performances that are just like ingrained into that person's career uh, in Robin Williams and Tom Hanks. Uh, so I, I kind of, I just, I just kind of defer to Forrest Gump's bigger success. Yeah. And a uh, one, chain one of uh, fast, casual, Shrimp restaurants, seafood. Yeah, restaurants. that's a that is that is a negative point. You're right. I'll reconsider my vote. I so now I'll I'll go Forrest Gump here. So it's tied. It no, is. It's tied. All right. <clears throat> so let's talk about the legacy of it. So I'm going to pitch Forrest Gump because I know okay. the Goodwill Hunting has a really good case, and it's more of an obvious case. But Forrest Gump remains, if I'm not mistaken, Tom Hanks's largest uh highest grossing film domestically that is not toy story okay where his face is seen on the screen sure this is his most successful still to this day it won him his second oscar it led straight into the basically crowned him the king of the 90s right it led to apollo 13 toy story was the year after um Toy Story 2, Saving Private Ryan. Um, I mean, just this insane run of movies. He did start the decade with Sleepless in Seattle, as we talked about in Philadelphia, but this was like a coronation. This was an event, and uh, it, it it was Robert Zemeckis' first like big grown-up hit. Um, they 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 recollaborated for Castaway, you know, six years later, um, and. I don't know. I mean, the, the Goodwill hunting stuff is really hard to, to beat here, but I, I guess just Tom Hanks is really, it's, it's still his biggest. Yeah. I something. mean, being one of Tom Hanks's uh, defining roles and defining movies is like a really big point, especially when you consider how many there are to choose from. Like For, Forrest Gump has got to be top five, most important Tom Hanks performances, movies, whatever. Yeah. I I will uh, I will then just make the case for Goodwill Hunting. Uh, Good luck. Yeah, G- gave us Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. The Snyder Cut. Goodwill Hunting is responsible for the Snyder Cut. You know, when well, all things are said and you're done. You're right. That is a negative point. I'll reassess. <clears throat> no, you know the thing with like the Matt Damon thing is, you know, I think the Rainmaker had come out before this, like. This pushed them into superstardom, right? They were on uh-huh. magazines. This was this was the big coming out party. But I, I, I don't want to pretend like they hadn't been in a movie. I, I, I want to see when the Rainmaker came out because I feel like it was – that was like – he was the lead in that movie. And I think that was right before – that also came out in 97. All right. What was my release date? I think December fifth. December fifth. It came out in November. November twenty first. Came out a month before, and he was the star of that movie. Francis Ford Coppola, Matt Damon was the star. and it wasn't his you know his only movie, but that was like a big leading role for him basically. But this did get Robin yeah. Williams his Oscar. 
Um, it, uh, you know, pushed Gus Van Sant into the forefront. Uh, it was a huge launching pad for Minnie Driver as well. Can't forget her. She's great in the movie. And it, it really was Ben and Matt after this. Yeah. You know, that I, was the team. I, th- I think the Rainmaker might be one of those things that, like, you know, it technically came first. But when you think today, like, what launched Matt Damon's career? It's Goodwill Hunting. Uh, because that is because Goodwill Hunting has the legacy. The Rainmaker does not have a legacy. Right. Uh, can I just can I just say that I think that it's insane that a tournament about the biggest and the greatest blockbusters of the '90s is not going to include one of the top five quintessential films of the night. You know what I mean? Like one of the top five quintessential blockbusters of the nineties is Forrest Gump. And yet Goodwill hunting takes this matchup and moves it on. Does. It moves on to Goodwill hunting defeats Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump goes down in the first round of a nineties blockbuster tournament. Goodwill hunting moves on to take on Titanic in the round of 32. So good luck to will hunting and friends. Yeah. And if they lose, I have just, I have uh, I have four words for you. It's not your fault. All right, uh, moving on. Our next matchup: the three seed Pulp Fiction versus the six seed The Fugitive. Pulp Fiction released October fourteenth, nineteen ninety four. Opening weekend, nine million dollars. Its final gross, one hundred and eight. The Fugitive was released. August 6th, 1993. Opening weekend, $23 million. Final gross, $183 million. Bigger profit relative to budget. Pulp Fiction cost $8 million. It grossed $214. That's a profit of $2,674. The Fugitive cost $44. It made $369. That's a profit of $838. Point one goes to Pulp Fiction in what very well might be a sweep. I got to tell you, seeing uh, seeing that profit number for Pulp Fiction, yeah, uh, Pulp Fiction might be uh, my early favorite to win this whole thing. Oh, I that agree. Is, that's why that's why I picked it in the draft. I mean, it's 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 yeah. a it's the crouching tiger of this tournament. Yeah, it only made a hundred, but like, who would have thunk it? And uh, boy, was it uh, good, kind of a thing. So. Well, see, listen, Noah. There are a lot of percentages in the thousands. Oh yeah, no, I'm. This is it's not when possible. I, when I when I say early favorite, I mean very early. Uh, but just not, I think there's, I think it's going to be a good contender in that category. Always uh, is is got to be one of the better movies in the draft. Uh, yes, or not the draft the tournament, and so it's just it's a it's a top tier contender in at least two things. But let's uh, let's get to it. So before, so Pulp Fiction takes game one. Before we pick Pulp Fiction for quality of movie, would you like to say a few words about the Fugitive? I mean, the Fugitive is great. Uh, it makes me sad to vote against it because uh, because I love it. It's a great Harrison Ford performance. It got Tommy Lee Jones an Oscar, which again I think uh, I think just in the way that great comedic performances should be recognized more than they are. I think great like supporting character actor kind of things should be recognized more than they are. Like Tommy Lee Jones uh, does not give like a big dramatic Oscar kind of performance 
here. He's just he's just being like gruff Tommy Lee Jones in a cop movie, and he's fucking excellent at that. He's one of the best we've ever seen at that. And that's and that is why I think that this Oscar was deserved. I but well, once again I ask who else was nominated, but it probably was. I yeah, it's not not even deserved relative to the competition, but just just in in a vacuum, I think that performance is deserving of awards consideration. So uh, that was ninety three, right? Correct. Tan Lee Jones won. Leonardo, uh, oof, that is a good group of people. I haven't seen uh, Pete Postlewith in In the Name of the Father, although I hope to watch that soon. But aside from that, John Malkovich in the Line of Fire, we just watched that. That's that's another yeah. example of Tommy Lee Jones. That's that's yeah, not a showy yeah, performance. That, that's just Malkovich being Malkovich it's in a, a genre very, movie. It's just a very really cool. effective villain performance. Leonardo DiCaprio in What's Eating Gilbert Grape, which is a truly great performance um, that wouldn't fly today. But what are you going to do? And the person I'd vote for, and we'll talk about him in a few minutes, Ray Fiennes, Schindler's List. Yeah, see, that's like... Also, also deserving of awards. I'm just, I'm just saying, uh, Tommy it, Lee belongs in that cool conversation. Win. It is a cool win. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, but yeah, Pulp Fiction is like just one of my favorite movies. I think it's, it's just, it's incredible. It's incredibly good and is endured to this day. Uh, the, the, probably the greatest movie from one of our generations, uh, defining directors it's, cer- so I, it's certainly his best film i vote uh, i vote for pulp fiction i vote for pulp fiction as well the fugitive is terrific and everyone should watch it on a friday night get some popcorn pour yourself a drink and just turn the lights down it's a it's just a blast from start to finish um pulp fiction 2-0 nil. Yeah. harder road to success it's pulp fiction you know, the, you know <laughs> yeah. it may, this is different than a uh uh, Goodwill Hunting, making 133, and me saying, "Oh, you know, that's just what could happen." Then this is different because, first of all, it's three years before Goodwill Hunting did that, so this is helping pave the way. Independent film was the independent film was very new in the sense that you know things went to festivals and people really looked upon those as legitimate theatrical experiences. This is a big pushing point for that. It's a weird movie. Uh, you know, Reservoir Dogs didn't make $108 million. And it's just a strange R-rated uh, movie that made 108 in 1994. The Fugitive is yeah. a big Harrison Ford action thriller based on a, a popular TV show. I, I, also, I also think it's important to note that, like, the whole indie movie making $100 plus million, like, that's still very impressive. It's it just is. in Goodwill Hunting's case, it's like, oh wow, Goodwill Hunting made 138 million dollars. That's great. Versus, holy shit, Forrest Gump made 329. Whereas right. in this case, it's Pulp Fiction made 108 and The Fugitive made 183. Those aren't those aren't nearly as far apart. Going back to math, uh, see, you could have done it. It's not. Um, it's true. I'm, yeah. I'm changing course. Um. So I, 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 I do think it's Pulp Fiction. I think that, that it's just not a crowd pleaser in the traditional sense. It's not a big blockbuster. And uh, it just it, it became a phenomenon. So I go with yeah. Pulp Fiction. As do I. That's a 3-0 sweep. sweep. 
That's a three hour sweep. All right. Yeah. Uh, I, I will mention that uh, uh, Fugitive is an 87 on Metacritic, seven Oscar nominations, including picture, though not director or actor, and uh, one Academy Award for Tommy Lee Jones for supporting actor. Okay. Fuck yeah. Here we go. Uh, I'm very curious about this. My favorite director since I was four years old has been Steven Spielberg. And while he may not be my current favorite, you know what I mean? But he is... Sure my director basically uh his his two most prominent well listen the 90s were a big decade for steven yeah <laughs> two of his top five two movies of in the terms 90s. of prominence yeah of the but 90s. these were the two films that you know after him and I'm, I'm gonna look up the stat real quick but we are talking about the two seed saving private ryan versus the seven seed schindler's list and what i do want to mention briefly while i look this up is that for years um, it had been under the assumption that uh, Spielberg was, you know, jinxed, that the Academy didn't like him, right? Uh-huh. Uh, let me, I don't know why. We could, you know, we could, when there's like a big star on Wikipedia, they just, they split it up into too many sections. Um, nominations. Okay. I'm just going to look it up on Google because it'll be easier. All right. So he was nominated for Best Director, Noah, for uh-huh. 1978's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Didn't win. 82's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Didn't win. 1983's E.T., The Extraterrestrial. Didn't win. The Color Purple was nominated for Best Picture. He was not nominated for Best Director. People are like, what is this? What does this guy got to do to win an award? Like, ET is a classic. Raiders is a classic. Like, what's going on here? And uh, and then finally, on his fourth nomination, it happened with Schindler's List, and then uh, I put them both coming out on the same release date. That's silly. Um, and then uh, uh, five years later. He uh, he won his uh, his second and still only has two for now. But these are the two Steven Spielberg best directing uh, Oscar winners. This is this is huge. These are two monumental movies in his career and just of the '90s. So while I have to pull up, uh, what is it? What is it? Schindler's List. So I have to pull up the dramas here. Yes. To get my release date. Okay. All right. So while that loads. I'll go over the other ones. Same Private Ryan was released July 24th, 1998. It's opening weekend, $30 million, a final gross of 216. Schindler's List was released on December 24th, night, nope, December 15th, 1993. It, uh, what, what are my other things? I have to go back to this list. Opening weekend, $4 million when it expanded to wide release, and then it legged it out like a champ to 96 million for a final gross domestic bigger profit relative to budget. Uh, the budget for saving private Ryan was $70 million, a final gross of 41, a profit of 688%. Schindler's list had a budget of $22 million, a gross of 321 worldwide. That's a profit of 1,610 game. One it's goes a, to Schindler's list. It's a big hit overseas there. <sighs> yeah, it sure was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know the famous uh, thing that, that Spielberg made Schindler's List while uh, at the same year th- that he made Jurassic Park. 
Yeah. What what, what has, has anyone ever seen a year as such as that? Where you make the biggest grossing movie of all time, and then you find them win your Oscar for uh, uh, like the most personal film of your career. I think there are uh, I think there are definitely similar years, but they're not coming to mind right now. He but was, it's 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 certainly one of the one of the all time great years for he, a director. He was using the post production process of Jurassic Park to take his to just kind of get away from the subject matter, and uh, he, on occasion, his good friend Robin Williams would call him while he was on set on Schindler's List and tell him jokes over the phone yeah. to cheer him up because it's just it's just a devastating subject matter you're ingrained in twenty four hours a day. That's just. See that's just that's just that's just feels like bragging. That's such a nice story though that Robin would just spend time on the phone with him. Yeah. All right. Quality of movie. You rewatched Saving Private Ryan recently, so I'll start with you. Yes. Uh, how did it go, and what's your uh, vote here? I. This turned out to be a harder decision than I thought it would be. I. Mm. Uh, I was really impressed by a lot of Saving Private Ryan. Uh, I've seen it many times. Uh, none of it really felt like, you know, like oh, like I don't remember this scene. Uh, like it didn't, it didn't feel new. I recognized all of it, but I was, I was really impressed by how much of it didn't like, didn't feel like a sort of quote unquote Spielberg movie. I thought it uh, it was really kind of reserved and like I don't know, just not like not like big and sentimental in the way that uh, that he gets, uh, and I don't even mean that in a in a bad way. It's it's his it's a hallmark of his, uh, but he's incredibly successful. It's he's he he works it well. I uh, but the first like hour and 15 minutes hour and a half of this movie uh were just like just completely like gripping in a shocking way i was expecting to kind of rewatch saving private ryan like sort of half rewatch it because mm-hmm. i've seen it so much uh but like right away i was just like oh like this is this this is engrossing i, I, I can't 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 be can't be paying any attention to anything else I, but I, I don't know. I, I don't think it quite rises to the level of Schindler's List quality. I think there's that. I was, I was telling you about this off mic. There's that scene where Tom Hanks finally reveals to the group that like, he's just a teacher man. Right. Uh, He's just trying, just trying, just trying to find his way home, which actually kind of undercut one of the things that I found so interesting about saving private Ryan to that point in that Tom Hanks to me, like he's incredibly good in the movie, but just his type, you think of the Tom Hanks archetype, isn't like efficient grizzled, uh, like war sergeant. His type is kind of like, regular guy who's like really capable you know right. he is just like he's the fedex guy but when he lands on an island like you buy that he can survive because he's smart and resourceful and stuff 
I, but like, I don't really expect him to be like, all right, Bravo company, we've got to go around here and do all this and, you know, army jargon, etc. And so I thought that was really cool that he's just playing. He's just like a, he's just a fucking army man. And he's like really good at it. And that's not, that's not what I expect from Tom Hanks. And then we get the reveal that after all, no, he is just a regular dude who's just kind of uh, resourceful and piecing it together as he goes, which I thought was too bad. Do you think he should have won Tom Hanks? Oh, I, maybe I think, I think he, I think he could have, I think this is a, this is kind of what my, uh, I mean, you, you've only seen one of the other nominated performances and you would give it to the other nomination, but just wondering if, if you know, because that, that always felt to me like the movie should have won picture, which I haven't seen it in a while, but, you know, Spielberg won director, and then, like, if we're rewarding it in that way, how does Hanks not take it home, you know? Yeah, I think that's a... Would it be just too much? Is it just not as strong as the others? Is it like... Maybe we don't give it to him three times in five years, kind of a thing. I think I think that's I think that's probably part of it, but I I, I do think it was it was worthy of an award. Yeah, his uh, his his performance, he's very good in it. But so, yeah, go ahead. So what, what, like, what is it about Schindler then that, that that gives it that edge? I don't I don't know. I guess it's just I don't I don't recall. You know, we went and saw Schindler in the theater. Uh, couple of years back at this I think, point yeah, it was last year no it was two years ago then yeah yeah uh and like that that movie doesn't have like a like oh this i wish this scene wasn't quite so spielbergy mm-hmm. like 90 percent of this movie is spielbergy in a great way and then there's like 10 percent that's like oh this is only good it's just like it it does it does not have that drop uh, i don't think it's just kind of excellent and heartrending and uh, well well acted and well directed and thoughtful all the way through i don't think it's any surprise that my vote is also for schindler's list it's one of my favorite films i think it's one of the most important films ever made same for ryan is terrific and you know what sticks out with me always about same for ryan is what tom hanks does with his arm at the end of the movie when he's firing that gun when the camera's pushing in on him you know and uh-huh. he's just and the arm's just doing this, just like ricocheting very loosely because he's weak. Sure. That is just, I don't know why, but that always stays in my head. But, um, you know, Private Ryan has the opening, which is just brilliant. But the thing about Schindler's List is it, it's Spielberg stripping down what makes him Steven Spielberg to its bare essentials, which is the idea of it being dreamlike or a fairy tale or, you know, like a dark fairy tale in a way. The very very kind of you're watching a story play out, but he, he, he makes everything so real. He doesn't shy away from anything. And he has little moments in the film, you know, the snowfall for instance, is just a great reveal of what that is. And, and one of the most striking scenes in any movie that still truly to this day rattles me is the, um, the gun jamming for Ray Fiennes. Oh, sure. And just a steady wide shot of him trying to shoot somebody in the head and his gun keeps jumping. And every time he pulls the trigger, the camera does not cut to a different angle. So every time he's doing it, you're expecting it to go off. And it is terrifying. Everyone's great in it. Um, It's just a beautiful, important 
piece of film. And, and I think that the, you know, the ending being hokey as it is, is truly a sigh of relief that's needed in that we we've, we've watched three hours of monstrosities. And so this beautiful ending that breaks the fourth wall is almost like a sigh of relief. The idea that it happened, what we saw happen, but we've all made it through and now this can happen. And so I, it's, it's, it's just a very um, beautiful and startling and horrifying uh, film and one that you would never expect Spielberg to make. And then when you watch, you're like, well, only Steven Spielberg could have pulled this off kind of a thing. This, yeah. this, not, not a Holocaust movie, but this particular Holocaust movie. Um, anyway, it's great. So what's our score now? Uh, so now we are 2-0. up uh, 2-0 for Schindler. Harder road to success, Noah. I think it's got to be Schindler here. And I'll tell you why. Private Ryan is a war epic. It was released in the summer as a blockbuster. Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg, bing, bang, boom. Come out and see these action. It's an action movie, you know, uh, in a way, certainly in the trailers. Yeah. And war movies are very marketable and profitable. Yeah, I think I think I think that's I think that's definitely right. Uh, yeah. And I think that even though it's directed by Steven Spielberg, a three and three hour black and white misery fest that is yeah. Schindler's List is much harder to, to especially when you open to four million dollars to then make ninety six is uh, is truly a feat. Yeah, I think uh, I think the directed by Steven Spielberg argument might hold more water against a you know, possible Pulp Fiction or Goodwill Hunting or... I agree, Titanic especially coming... in the future. Especially... Titanic. <laughs> but the first two? Uh, it's it's but, possible, yeah. yeah. But uh, they're but both I'll... directed by Spielberg, so it cancels out. Sure. You know, Schindler's List did come so soon after Jurassic Park, but yeah. uh, I but just feel like... Ryan came so soon after Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. Yes, and the Lost World Jurassic Park, which was opened the year the the summer before Private Ryan. But um, as far as the World War II epics from Spielberg, I can see the action heavy Private Ryan over the somber. Let's watch all these people die. Schindler's sure. List. So that's a clean sweep for Schindler. It is. That's wild. That uh, the first two, a few games were won by the opponent, but in the second two matchups here, uh, they're both sweeps. Which means that uh, the Spike Lee division in the round of 32, Titanic will face Goodwill Hunting and Pulp Fiction will face Forrest Gump. And boy, if that second matchup doesn't sound like a, like just a final of this tournament. Yes. Like we're, we're getting Pulp Fiction against Forrest Gump is just, it makes my head spin. Uh, it's very, it's very, very exciting. exciting. All right. The Mel Brooks division. No, these are our comedy films. Let's, you know, we talked about the Holocaust. We talked right. about World War II. The Titanic is a downer subject. Let's let's move into something lighter. What do you say? I'm I'm all for it. Our contestants: the uh, one seed Mrs. Doubtfire will face the eight seed A League of Their Own. The four seed The Birdcage will take on the fifth seed Dumb and Dumber. The three seed Big Daddy will take on the six seed The Truman Show, and the two seed Liar Liar will face the Nutty Professor. A lot. Of, looking at these logos, a lot of red happening here. Yeah, quite a bit red of it. Will, Red was a very funny color in, in the nineties. In all of them, but Mrs. Doubtfire, I, which I believe, I kind of if hope I that wins, then which I believe, if I go to the website, I get these logos at fanart.tv. Uh, there is a red logo for Mrs. Doubtfire as well, so do not worry. Mm. I just didn't okay. choose it, fine, because that's the one I always choose. The one from the poster that in my head, if I close yeah. my eyes, that's the one I see. Sure. All right. So 
Mrs. Doubtfire, number one seed, released November 24th, 1993. Opening weekend, $27 million over its five-day. It opened uh, on a Wednesday for Thanksgiving. Final gross, $219 million. A League of Their Own was released July 1st, 1992. Opening weekend, 13. Its final gross, 107. Bigger profit relative to budget. Well, Mrs. Doubtfire cost $25 million to make, It, uh, which is really... Just so not a lot of money. Grossed 441 worldwide. That's profit of 1,764. And a League of Their Own costs 40 million, which seems like a lot of money. Uh, grossed 132 million dollars worldwide. That's profit of 331. Game one goes to you uh, win it for a doubtfire. Yes. Did you yes. watch either of these? No, I uh, I knew going in which movie I preferred. I watched both. Okay. And um, I was talking to, to my mom about this as well. And I, I was saying to her, you know, I want to watch both. I don't know what I'll pick. And she said, which one do you enjoy the most? And I said, well, that doesn't always bring about the quality of the movie. And second, is it possible that I enjoy Mrs. Doubtfire as much as I do because I watch it so often as a child, you know, I said to her, it was, we had it on VHS, right? And when you're a kid, um, before, you know, we didn't grow up in the age of Netflix or even HBO. Not a lot of people had, right? Right. So the movies that we watched at home were the movies that we owned. Those are the ones we watched over and over again. And this was one of them. And men in black was one of them. And Titanic was one of them. And, and the list goes on, but this was on that list, and so I've this movie is ingrained in me. Noah, I know the music cues, I know every scene, I know what's going to happen every time before it happens. Uh, and it's a delightful film. A League of Their Own, I've seen less. I have it on DVD, I don't, I don't remember where I got it, but I do have it, so I popped that into it and I watched it. And uh, you know, when I when I when, when I released some of these, some people commented, A League of Their Own, is that a comedy? And, and I said, I think it is. And I watched it, and yes, it is. It's not, you know, a traditional comedy, but it is a comedy, and uh, it's very funny at times. There's a, I'm, I'm upset you didn't watch it because there's some stuff I wanted to. There's a scene where uh, Tom Hanks, who plays the drunk coach, um, the bus driver has just quit because the child of one of the players is uh, bothering him, and so Tom Hanks like wakes up out of a stupor and he goes, "What happened?" He goes, "We lost the bus driver," and so he's like frustrated and he gets out of the bus and all the players stand there and he just in his Tom Hanks way drunkenly just goes, "Come on out of the bus," and just like very mumbly and drunk and his Tom Hanks voice tells him to get on the bus and none of them are words. There's a lot of stuff in it that's really really funny. All of the players are really good. Um, Lori Petty, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, Gina Davis, even the side characters are all really well fleshed out and you really want to spend time with them. I got choked up at the ending of this movie, this watch, because it, it bookends with them going to the, um, the baseball hall of fame. People don't know what it's about. It's about the, the, the women's baseball league that started during world war two when a lot of the men were overseas. And, uh, and so the ending is them reuniting at this thing as old women and, it's just a damn delight. It's it might be one of my favorite baseball movies. It might be my favorite baseball movie. I don't know, but it's really really good. And so I'm still on the fence here because again, I don't know if is it possible that my quality assessment of Mrs. Doubtfire is swayed by the fact that I just it's in my brain. I watched it so many times as a child. Um or is it in fact better? I don't know. What do you think? 
I mean, I think that's possible, but I think that's, I, th- I think that's just kind of broadly true of everything. If you, if you, if you really drill down why, why you like something more than something else, it all just, it it's all just going to eventually come back to your childhood, to how you were raised, to what you were exposed to. I, uh, so I, I ultimately think it's important to not overthink it too much. I think, uh, a League of Their Own is quite good. It's a very enjoyable watch. I remember liking it very much. But Mrs. Doubtfire is a classic comedy. It is, and A League of Their Own, I don't think is. I think Mrs. Doubtfire is funnier throughout and just more memorable. And so that's why I'm picking it. There is a scene in A League of Their Own where a small child is saying. You're gonna lose, you're gonna lose to Tom Hanks. And then Tom Hanks sure. throws a baseball mitt at him, and then yeah. the kid falls over. And Tom Hanks stands there, and then he just starts laughing hysterically. And it's wonderful. Tom Hanks is so fucking good in that movie. Uh, it's just really, really good. So, so for I think I am. I think I think on this on this rewatch that I did, uh-huh. I am going to give the advantage to a league of their own in quality. All right. Cool. We've got our first uh, our first split. Yeah. Harder road to success. Um, I think based on the gross alone, this might go to Doubtfire. I just you know, Ron Williams is a big star, but uh, this is this is Aladdin territory. Aladdin came out the year before, but other than that, I don't think he's he's approached this in his career. And League of Their Own is seems to just be that 107. It just means it was a successful comedy release. You know what I mean? Sure. It's not burning any barns on fire. So as far as harder road to success, League of Their Own had a great supporting cast: Madonna, Tom Hanks, Gina Davis was a thing. Penny Marshall was big. She directed. She directed big, um, and uh, and so I think that that makes sense. Whereas Doubtfire, uh making as so much as it did i think i give this to doubtfire for harder road i just think yes it's a huge amount of money i completely agree and so uh league of their own is still alive here but it's just hanging on by a thread i've i've got doubtfire moving on but uh well we're getting into like we're getting into i mean legacy of movie is going to go to doubtfire i just there's no there's no way around it. I'm not mad at it. I love Mrs. Doubtfire. Again, as I said, I know all of it. Yeah. Um, there were joke. There was one joke that was very risque or something that I didn't get last time that I got this time. Oh, by the way, let's let's discuss the, the Twitter thing with Mrs. Doubtfire. Right. We're talking about it, and it's a trending topic on Twitter. Have you not heard about this? No. There was a post saying. Um, there was so much improvised footage of Robin Williams that in NC-17, R, PG-13, PG, and G ratings were all cut of Mrs. Doubtfire, depending on how the studio wanted to go. Basically like that. Okay. Even though like the idea that the editors were like, so we also have an X-rated Mrs. Doubtfire, which, which, which by the way, implies graphic sex. Yeah, the, I don't. I don't believe X, that. The X rating is not for dirty language, no. because like there's no amount of language that can get you an X. Um, I don't think, but uh, certainly not as much as Rob Williams might have improvised. 
But uh, then Christopher Columbus uh, spoke to the director of it, Chris Columbus, one of our most underrated influential directors in history. Okay, he he, this guy directed uh, Home Alone, Mrs. Doubtfire, um, uh, the first two Harry Potter films. I mean, truly, some of the bigger children event films of our time. So anyway, yeah, quite um, the resume. He he really is. Uh, just not talked about at all. He, it's, it's it's similar to the uh, the Rob Reiner of it all. We we're just like this guy was just on fire. What are we talking about? Um, anywho, he spoke to Entertainment Weekly. He said that that was not the case. We had plenty of footage where we could have made an R rated because he would just improvise and he would swear. He's that kind of comedian. Sure. But we didn't make a bunch of cuts in the hopes that and just said it's you know, pick which one you want. Um, and then he, and then, you know, the reporter, obviously in the wake of Snyder cut was like, would you ever release it? Do you want it to be released? And he was like, no, we don't like have a movie like in buried in us where we need this to be released. He said, I could do a documentary though about the making of the movie. It's a movie I'm very proud of. I have a lot of footage of it. We could talk to, we could interview our editors and our makeup artists and shit. And, and I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. Why don't you do that? Like release like a 20 minute document i would love to watch rob sure. williams i would love to watch rob or williams just, riff as mrs doubtfire for yeah for or just like cut cut some of that footage together in like a half hour thing sure that'd be great I would like we it. could just watch that i will say as far as the nc-17 thing goes would you be totally shocked to learn that there is a cut of the scene where he's uh, doing the quick changes in the restaurant where he comes out of the bathroom and his top half is in Mrs. Doubtfire uh, regalia and he's not wearing any pants or underwear. So Mrs. Doubtfire is a penis? Yeah. And he just does that as like a gag for the set, but they were recording it so that footage exists. That probably wouldn't surprise me. No. I'd, I'd, put, I'd put the odds for that at about 50%. Yeah. Famously, Chris, it's, it's a thing that you can't do anymore, but Chris Pratt... No. On the set of Parks and Rec, in one of the first few seasons, there's a thing where Leslie Nope opens the door and and Andy's naked, and he was naked for one take. Yeah, and that and that, and that was the take that they used. Yeah, um, she goes, "Oh my god!" Yeah, that was the take that they used. But uh, no, that doesn't surprise me. But I, I I truly know everything about Mrs. Doubtfire. I know all the music cues hit home, the animal stuff at the beat. I know the whole fucking movie, man. Anyway, I hear you. Uh, the whole time is one of my favorite line readings in history, Noah. History. Which one? The second one? <laughs> that whole thing. I know. I'm, I'm that whole thing is terrific. Teasing. But at the same time, A League of Their Own, I know I think should you should rewatch at some point. It's just a delight. And it's actually much funnier than, than I remembered. Um, Doubtfire moves on. Yes, it does. There you go. All right, our next matchup, the four seed, the Birdcage v. the five seed, Dumb and Dumber. The Birdcage released March 8th, 1996, opening weekend, $18 million, final gross, 124. Dumb, very similar grosses. Dumb and Dumber was released December 16th, 1994, opening weekend, 16, final gross, 127. Look at that. Bigger profit relative to budget. Well, uh, the Birdcage cost $31 million. It grossed 185 worldwide. That's a profit of 597. Dumb and Dumber had a budget of seventeen million. It grossed two forty-seven, a profit of one thousand four hundred fifty-four. Point one goes to Dumb and Dumber. Uh, quality of movie: uh, The Birdcage is one of my favorite films of all time. That wins it for me easily. Yes, yes. The answer is The Birdcage. Don't have to spend too much time on that. It's incredibly funny, and Dumb and Dumber is like okay. 
Uh, harder road to success. Uh, the birdcage has the pedigree, but I still give it to that. I think that's a crazy amount of money for its subject matter. Dumb and Dumber was coming off of Jim Carrey, uh, Ace Ventura making a hundred million, and The Mask making like a hundred and twenty million. So this just was yeah, like so- it rolled in the same year, within a year. So this just rolled right into that, made the same amount as those two. Harder road to me goes to the birdcage. Yeah. So Dumb and Dumber is the third of those three of ninety four. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, well, I it came agree. out. It came that's, out December sixteenth. I would certainly hope that would that would be an insane a, week and a half for a, Jim Carrey. That's a fine context <laughs> clue to use. I'm to just saying, if, if Jim Carrey had three movies in the last week and a half of ninety four, yes. boy oh boy. But yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, I I give it to the birdcage here. Yes, I think I think that's right. I think I think the third of those three movies has one of the biggest fucking lead-ins you could have. Uh, so yeah, yeah Cage, Certainly in this decade. And then finally, the legacy of the film itself, I'm also giving to the Birdcage. Call me biased, fine. But it's still the highest grossing LGBTQ film of, in, of all time. It was nominated for uh, an Academy Award, a very terrific nomination for production design. 72 on Metacritic. It's still talked about today, um, mainly by me. <laughs> but no, I'm kidding. People like it a lot. And... Uh, and and I, I really think that that stat about it being the uh, like the biggest movie involving plus it did spawn a lot of similarly themed films. In and Out, as an example, came out a few years after that, but it did kind of start this small wave of of mainstream comedies uh, regarding the queer community. But uh, in that regard, as far as the first legacy thing goes, I uh, I do give it to the the Birdcage. I. Uh... I think I do as well, and I think I think this is a case where if we were to have gotten to the broader legacy, I think being a part of Jim Carrey's uh, perfect year mm-hmm. uh, would have given Dumb and Dumber this point in that case. But I think the movie as a whole uh, doesn't quite stand out as much as The Birdcage. I think the uh, highest grossing LGBTQ, I agree, is a very strong point in its favor. And uh, this is our tournament, and we're putting the birdcage forward. So the birdcage moves on. Uh, the other legacy would probably go to Dumb and Dumber, and I would argue, no, it's not for Jim Carrey, but for the Fairly Brothers, as this was their first big movie. I, I think it. Uh, I think it could be both. I just he had two. You know, if we're talking about Ace Ventura, sure. But or the Mask, which was like the critically acclaimed one of these three. No, I think you. I don't think you can possibly look at this and be like, well, it's the third one in the year. Like the 1994 is the year. I'm just saying that that's not as impressed. That's not as like it's dumb and dumber is not as important to Jim Carrey's legacy as it is to the Fairley brothers. That's what I mean. Yeah. But I'm okay. Birdcage moves on. It's going to face its own star. Robin Williams is Mrs. Doubtfire in the next round. Very I feel like that's not going to be as as interesting because so many of these have just the same fucking people. Like, and to get to the romantic comedy one, and I'm like, oh my god, sure. next week Julie Roberts will again take on a Julie Roberts movie. You know, it may it may lose, but for now it's fun. Um, sure. Our next matchup: the three seed Big Daddy versus the six seed The Truman Show. Big Daddy was released June 25th, 1999. Opening weekend, $41 million. A final gross of 163. That, you know, it's funny. when If you were to ask me, like, what what is what do Adam Sandler movies open to and what they gross? The, those are my answers. Huh. They all gross right around those on opening weekend and total. 
the, the big ones. Yeah. The Truman Show released June 5th, 1998. Opening weekend, 31, a final gross of 125. Big Daddy cost 34 million dollars it grossed 234 worldwide that's a budget of 686 and the truman show cost 60 and it grossed 264 that's a budget of 440 big daddy takes game one you didn't rewatch either of these no i did not okay so quality movie for me will go to the truman show which is a masterpiece i love big daddy but the truman show is just terrific cinema so that gets my vote uh yeah i'm also going truman show here i'm also uh quite fond of big daddy it's not uh, it's not Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore, but it's uh, it's probably in the next tier down. Yeah, it certainly is. Sandler movies. Yeah, it might be my second favorite broad Sandler comedy after Billy Madison. Really? You might like Big Daddy more than Happy Gilmore. I was never a Happy Gilmore guy, and I don't really know Happy Gilmore. You know, I feel like I've seen it, but I'm not like I'm not into Happy. It's one that I should rewatch, but I was always a no. I like Happy Gilmore. Nope, Billy the other Madison. one. Yeah. Billy Madison, yeah. Had to, um, had to pick one. I did have to pick one, yes. I was very All adamant right. about which side. I, I lost friends because I said, which one do you like? They said, I like both. And I said, no. See, I, I, was a, I was a happy Gilmore guy first. I've since become a both guy. Uh-huh. But uh, but yeah, happy Gilmore was. I might become a happy Gilmore Gilmore. guy if I just watch it more, but I just don't. Maybe. <sighs> Anyway, What's the Truman next? Show is very good, and I voted for it. Harder <laughs> Road to Success. It's 1-1. One, one. Harder Road to Success. This is so interesting because Adam Sandler had the Waterboy come out the year before that and make 150-something. Yeah. Or the Can you check to see how much Waterboy made world, uh, yes, I can. domestic? And the Truman Show was a year after Liar Liar made 181. You know, Jim Carrey was an enormous star. Adam Sandler was just becoming a star. So it might be the case where Big Daddy, which made, I think, maybe a little less than The Waterboy. Uh, Waterboy was 161 domestic. Okay. So I think the idea that he went back to back with 160 domestic gross was maybe harder than Jim Carrey landing 125 for his next starring vehicle. You know I, what think I, mean? I, I think I agree. Yeah. Especially yeah, with like, I, th- I think there was probably appeal to like, you know, Jim Carrey is the hottest comedic star in the world. And right. like now he's doing like a movie. Right. Sure. Uh, so yeah, I'll, uh, I'll vote. I'll, I'll vote big daddy there. All right. Big daddy's up two one. Uh, but I think it's really going to have a hard time winning either of these legacy of the film itself. Well, the Truman show has only grown in esteem since it came out famously, uh, well, I'll just read Big Daddy's only thing is it had a 41 on Metacritic. Truman Show has a 90, and it was nominated for three Academy Awards, Director, Original Screenplay, and Ed Harrison Supporting Actor, famously snubbing uh, Jim Carrey, who had won the Golden Globe and was primed to be nominated for his Academy Award and was famously snubbed. I think because of that snub, this has only grown in esteem as the years have gone on. Maybe this is the moment that the Oscars became uncool. Maybe this this is the chance they had to be like we've got we've got the biggest motherfucker in the world, uh, and, and everyone made, lo- everyone loves all his movies, and now he's going to win Best Actor. Well, and, I don't even know if he's going to look at us. I don't even know if he's going to win, but the idea that you're saying it was one of the best directed movies of the year, one of the best written movies of the year, and had one of the best performances of the year, like he's the movie. What do you mean? Yeah. Put Jim Carrey in your show, please. 
Um, so in that regard, I do think it is the Truman Show in the first Legacy and also in the second because it it is a huge bright spot on Carrie's film resume as far as film buffs go. And it is like the last vestige of him being that big of a star. Because after this, he made like the Majestic. And then we go into the 2000s and he doesn't make like another broad comedy. I don't think he makes you, uh, me, myself and Irene with the Fairley Brothers, which makes over 100, but nobody really, you know, whatever. And then Bruce Almighty is like the final coronation. But this was the end of his run in the 90s. And it was a run that was critically acclaimed and on his way to an Oscar. And I think it's always remembered as like, oh, my God, but it was so good. So, you know, I uh, I will make the case. I'll agree. uh, Legacy of the movie goes to Truman Show. I will make Mm -hmm. the case for the broader legacy that Big Daddy kind of cemented Sandler as a big budget comedy guy. Mm-hmm. you know coming uh coming so soon on the heels of the water boy and like we just kind of think of now like yeah sandler sandler movies make money people like them and people will go see grown-ups and grown-ups too uh, and i think uh big daddy coming out and succeeding in the way that did so really what's kind it, of catapulted I do, him i do agree that the water for the water boy is huge and then big daddy was a great follow-up my only problem with that is after that and i could be wrong and we could easily check but like we're going on long anyway but i'm pretty sure little nicky is next and that bombs huge then in 2001 i think i think he does eight crazy nights it might be an o2 we talked about that this winter um and then it really isn't until mr deeds which is uh, in 2002 that we get that huge string of Adam Sandler uh, hits. Yeah. And so it's kind of this weird period, right? Where he, he makes the water boy and big daddy and it's like, boom, Sandler, huge movie star. And then little Nikki bombs. And then in 2001, I'm sorry, he, he has no movie. And then in 2002, we get big daddy and then in 2003, we get anger management. 2004, 51st dates. We go on. We go on the Sandler journey. Um, so it's it 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 continued his success, but it didn't like. It wasn't like the this is the beginning because then he didn't have another big hit until Mr. Deeds, which then led into like this flush. Okay, of, that of is a, that is convincing enough for me. I think I was probably going to vote Truman anyway. I just wanted to. Make no, it's a good case, point. But it's no, a good no. point, and I I remember the hype around Big Daddy. I remember yeah. it just. I remember the trailers. I ba 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 that song that was playing in it. Sure. Do you remember that song? I think so. Da 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 da. That was the song in the trailer. Anyway, um, and it's just it's it's a it really is a very sweet and good. It's a great mixture of like those two things that Sandler does well. That kind of. Heartfelt and stuff, but I think the Truman Show takes this matchup. Yeah, it does. Three to two. It moves on. Let's see if it'll face its uh its coast its its star Jim Carrey or Eddie Murphy as our next matchup is the two seed Liar Liar v the seven seed The Nutty Professor. Liar Liar released March twenty first, nineteen ninety seven. It's opening weekend, thirty one million dollars. A final gross, one hundred eighty one. The Nutty Professor was released June twenty eighth, nineteen ninety six. Opening weekend, 25, final gross, 129. Bigger profit relative to budget. Well, Liar Liar cost $45 million. It made 302 worldwide. That's a profit of 672. 
And the Nardi Professor costs $54 million. It grows $274. That's a profit of $507. Liar Liar takes game one. No, you and I both rewatched. Uh, we actually watched Liar Liar during this quarantine. Yes. And then we uh, re- had you had you not seen the Nutty Professor Never before seen today? Nutty Professor before okay, today. I rewatched the Nutty Professor, but uh, uh, this was uh, my first time seeing it in a very long time. But since it was your first time, I'd love to know what you thought. I well, I'll say uh, I'll say first about Liar Liar uh, that when we rewatched it, I kind of went in thinking like, oh, this was a movie I really liked as a kid. Uh-huh. Uh, this is like a, a fun a fun little kids movie and like will it still be any good yeah uh, and it's 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 really great yeah liked it a lot it's uh, it it breezes by it's very funny uh it still holds up nutty professor not for me <laughs> just i i i really I, was like it could really go either way for for Noah yeah, and the nutty professor i know uh, I know you and you and Ahmad were talking fondly of it last night, so I will I will recognize that it has its fans, and like Eddie Murphy is clearly very talented and just a charismatic presence, but nah, not for me. Well, let's let's talk about it. Why wasn't it for you? Was there anything you did like about it? Or I can tell you what I like about it, and you can. Kind yeah, of I mean, I think that. I think really just I, what I would say. I appreciated about it more than liked. It's just like, I, I get, I get Eddie, I get the Eddie Murphy thing. Uh, in, in this movie, I just see like the, his, his mannerisms and way of speaking. He just, he fucking oozes that sort of top tier charisma that he has at all yeah. times. Uh, but no, I just, I, I, I didn't, I didn't find it funny. Uh, I found I found it actively very obnoxious uh, quite a bit of the time. I think I think when it really truly lost me was the first dinner scene with the family. Oh no, you didn't like the dinner scenes? Nope. Those are the best parts of the movie. <laughs> That's that that that, that gra- thing to say about a movie. You like. Noah, that that grandma, him is the grandma going. Come on, Cletus. Come on. Uh-huh. Come on, I mean that's just funny shit, man. I mean, you know the it's it's really the mom and the grandma. You know, the brother is just honestly whatever; he adds nothing, and the dad is just gross. But him as that mom and him as that grandma is just fucking gold. And truly, watching that scene is it makes your head spin. I mean, he did that eight different times. Yeah, and he it, it, it acts like he's reacting to them in the moment. Like it's crazy. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things again. Like it's it's impressive. I get right. it. I, right. I, I see I see the talent and appeal on display, but like, does it make me laugh? Not even close. I talked about this a little. <laughs> Not with, even close. I did like I liked it more than I thought. I I was afraid that it would seem too nineties, and truly, that opening scene is just insane. <laughs> I mean, that gerbil scene is just insane, and I Hamster. genuinely. When that hamster flew into that sandwich, I thought, did I turn on the wrong movie? What is happening right now? Uh, one like flies in. I did like it flying in her mouth and her falling over. I thought that was just a one-two punch punch that uh-huh. worked. But it, I was baffled. And then Eddie Murphy's, did I not tell you? I know we did this over the phone, but his face reaction was like, huh? What? Yeah. Just like him turning his head eight times is just awful. Awful. Tom Shadiak might have directed both of these movies. He's a huge... I'm going to look it up. He's a huge comedy director. He also directed um, 
Bruce Almighty. But, uh, you know, the the thing that I think endures about The Nutty Professor is that Eddie Sherman Klump is so likable, right? Uh-huh. He's sweet. He's earnest. He's a very likable guy, and you really want him to succeed. Uh, Buddy Love. The o- First of all, did, did, did you, I know I mentioned on the phone, but did you see what I meant by the fact that it takes them so long to tell us that Buddy Love is a different person controlling that body than Sherman? Yeah, yeah that just kind of seems like he's a dick. Right. So because when he's at dinner with Jada Pinkett and he's like blowing her off, you're like, why is Sherman acting like this? You know what right. I mean? Yeah. The, the only part of Buddy Love that I liked was the beginning where he goes and he gets the spandex. I like him at the exercise class and he's doing it right and they're all cheering. And so actually was no, that was that was the Sherman scene. I really like the Sherman scene where he's training like Rocky and he, he gets the exercise class right and they all like they're all happy for him and stuff. Uh huh. But the buddy love truly the worst part of the movie. And as a big fellow myself, that Dave Chappelle scene, I know exactly how Sherman feels there. It's my, it's your worst nightmare as a heavy person. It is awful when he, when he, when he nail reels into him. Uh, Dave Chappelle, by the way, does a great job in this, but playing that like kind of obnoxious comedian, but buddy loves scene, right? Jada Pinkett is this very sweet girl. She does not really sure about buddy. She's like, I don't know. He's very pompous and rude, whatever. And then when he lays into this comic, she's laughing right along with them. That's completely out of character for her. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, he, buddy love is being just as cruel as she says he is. He's being a monster. He almost kills this man. (laughs) And she's like howling, laughing and ready to kiss him at the end of the night. It is shocking. I mean, it's one of those things that like in the moment you're like, Oh, this is funny. But then you reflect on it and you're like, I just, I, I really think that her laughing is just so against that character. And also that scene goes on way too long. Eddie Murphy is screaming the whole time. That is the worst scene in the movie is, is, is when he, he goes after Dave Chappelle, but you know, um, the physical comedy works, the, the makeup looks great. And, uh, and I think Jada Pinkett is lovely. And I think she does a very good job with what she's given, which isn't very much. And I also think Larry, uh, Miller is funny as well as the Dean. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I always liked that guy. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think Larry he does. A, I think that's his name. I think he Never does a very, I think he does a very good job. Um, in that regard, I want to see, cause again, Tom Shadiak, right? Uh huh. He, he has directed Ace Ventura, the nutty professor, liar, liar, Bruce almighty. Those are his, uh, his big movies. I mean, that's huge. So he also that directed liar, liar. Um, so we are both, though, going with uh, – as much as uh, The Night Professor surprised me on the rewatch, we are going with Liar Liar here. It's yes. just a – it's a top-tier carry. All right. Uh, harder Road to Success. Does Liar Liar take it here? So I'm, 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 I'm going to pitch you Eddie Murphy, and I'm going to tell you why. Eddie Murphy at this point was on a huge decline. Yeah. His movies were failing, and they were not critically successful, Okay. Coming to America came out in 1988, Noah. After that, Harlem Nights, which I believe people like now, but at the time cost uh, a lot of money, didn't do super well. Um, Another 48 Hours bombed. Boomerang didn't do well. The Distinguished Gentleman, Beverly Hills Cop 3, and Vampire in New York the year before this one, which which was a Wes Craven film that didn't do well. So this was his big 
snap back into uh, the public consciousness. After this, he did the clumps. He did Dr. Doolittle. Um, you know, he kind of fit into this like family friendly vibe of playing good guys as well. A lot of his characters yeah. are very, you know, like smug and like against the system. And, and these are, you know, Sherman clump and Dr. Doolittle are both very nice people. Um, Dr. Doolittle, an even bigger hit than the night professor. So this kind of led to a, uh, and also Shrek was five years after this. So this, this was a big kind of start of a rebirth, a renaissance for Eddie Murphy. Liar Liar came three years after the Jim Carrey 1994 huge year, came after The Cable Guy, and it was his biggest um, live action film of this period, his biggest film of the 90s, Liar Liar. So is it more surprising that like Eddie Murphy get, gets his mojo back or that Jim Carrey takes it to like these heights, like 181 as opposed to 120? I mean, I think it's... I think the I think the winner here is definitely Nutty Professor. Yeah, I think I think a a big Jim Carrey comedy in 1997 is about 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 as quick a road to success as especially this is a high profile premise. I mean, Jim Carrey cannot tell a lie. Like he has to he has to he's a lawyer who cannot lie. I mean, just what a great premise for a physical comedian like that. So it's it's playing in his wheelhouse. it's more money than he's ever grossed before, but like, yeah. not by that much. Like, he didn't cross two hundred million here. I think Nutty Professor definitely had a harder road to success. I agree. So uh, we're two one now, correct? Yes. All yes, right. So Legacy, uh, as I said, Liar Liar, the biggest uh, film of Jim Carrey's career in the nineties. Seventy on Metacritic. The Nutty Professor sixty two on Metacritic and a one an Academy Award for makeup. Noah. That's so uh, Eddie Murphy also played the uh, Richard Simmons character in the film. I don't know if you caught that as well. I did not. I yeah. thought it was just Richard Simmons. No. no. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. What do we think here for legacy? I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's liar, liar for sure. Like I, I don't think, I don't think Nutty professor has as, as much of a legacy to speak of like this is this just kind of bleed into like the broader legacy of eddie murphy but like i think i think it's kind of the maybe the sixth thing you think of when you think eddie murphy or is liar liar is like you said a top tier 90s jim carrey comedy yeah i i also think that just how big carrie was and how big this movie was um I think the night professor is thought of fondly, but I don't think it's talked about as much as uh, Jim Carrey's movies were in that era. And then liar liars, as you said, the top of the list. So I, yeah, I, I kind of agree in that regard. So what does that make the, uh, so liar liar moves, uh, moves on three right, to one for, for the record, the other legacy, I probably would have gone with the night professor. As I said, it, it kind of relaunched Eddie Murphy into being a star. And so I think that that, that, that uh, helps a lot in the second legacy. So, all right. But that means that we have uh, two stars in f- two matchups. Noah, Robin Williams, Mrs. Doubtfire v. The Birdcage, and Jim Carrey, The Truman Show v. Liar Liar. Boy, oh boy. What do you think about that? See, I think that's still fun when it's two, it's two stars in each one. Yeah. I think I think that's where it, where it stays interesting. And that means a lot that of crossover here. no matter what happens, we will have a final of Robin Williams against Jim Carrey for the comedy title. It's like, that's that's right. Yeah, that sounds right for the 90s. The John Carpenter division, Noah. Now we're getting back. Yeah. We're getting into some spooky. T- we, we've had our laughs. Ooh. 
Oh, don't do that. I'm about to go to bed soon. I don't need that. Uh, the, the one seed look behind you then. The one, no, <laughs> he was just, I was afraid of the man on Skype, but he was just trying to warn me. Um, the, uh, the one seed, the sixth sense versus the eight seed interview with the vampire, the four seed scream versus the, Oh, there's a lot of numbers. The five seed seven, <laughs> the three seed, the sounds of the lambs versus the six seed scream two. And the two and the two seed, the Blair Witch Project versus the seventh seed, Misery. All right, here we go. The Sixth Sense was released August sixth. That makes sense. They really yeah. couldn't have gotten June. They couldn't have gone to June. Come on, it's right there. Couldn't have put it out in nineteen ninety six. Couldn't have waited like uh, the Omen did. Um, August sixth, nineteen ninety nine. Opening weekend, twenty six million dollars. Final gross of two hundred and ninety three. Interview of the Vampire released November 11th, 1994. Opening weekend, $36 million. Final gross, 105. The Sixth Sense cost $40 million to make. It had a, a gross 673 worldwide. That's a profit of 1,682. And Interview with the Vampire uh, had a budget of 60. It grossed 223 and a profit of 372. Now, Noah, I yes. don't want you to look at the Blair Witch's profit thing yet. I'd like to, to when, when we get okay. to that, I'd like to read it to you for live. I have, uh, I have not looked. Terrific. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you just look? No, I didn't. I just looked at the one for Scream, which is right next to it, and I think it's a typo. Yeah, it probably is. Uh <laughs> I don't know. No, you want to do that math while I do this? No, um, it's, it's, it's a typo. <laughs> point, game one goes to the sixth sense quality of movie. You're not high on the sixth sense. You've never seen interview with the vampire until yesterday. Maybe. Yeah. What did you think of? I, I, over the summer, I read interview with the vampire by Anne Rice for the first time. And then I watched it for the first time. Um, but what did you think? I think interview with the vampire was pretty interesting. Okay. Uh, it was a certainly like a product of its time. It felt it felt very like just of a piece of the nineties. Who who does she uh, kiss? Which one? Pitt. Okay, great. Just wanted to just because I always forget and I I'm always, I'm always sure it's Pitt, and then I'm like, but maybe it's not. But yeah, okay. and like they cut away like right as it happens. That's weird. It's interesting. Uh, I guess it's like not that, weird because she is still like a 12 year old girl, but yeah. And like, but, that's uh, what, that's when the, uh, like the cavalcade of vampire mimes breaks in. It's like, we're going to get you. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, yeah. Cause it's right when he's like saying like, I'm letting you go. Yeah. Right. All right. I, go ahead. So yeah, I thought, it, I thought it was pretty interesting. I, and like, I don't, it didn't, it didn't quite, didn't quite work for me, but would you like? Would you like to read the book? Would you like to borrow it? It's a very good book. Maybe it. It kind of. It kind of felt like a good book that was just kind of being read at times. Not really. Not really like interpreted necessarily, but just like there was a lot of yes. dialogue that I felt like this seems like good dialogue that like well, just doesn't. It's not. It's not good movie dialogue. They're just kind of like reading a book here. What's interesting is the book is entirely written as a story, like because it is yeah. the interview. So it's not. Sure. We don't then, you know, he, he doesn't say like I remember the summer, and then we cut to the summer. He just he's telling the whole story, but right. Um, it is a much I, more condensed version of. Yeah, go ahead. I was. I, I also. I also was kind of surprised by 
how I didn't really think Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise was that good. I think Tom Cruise is very good. Brad Pitt looks bored throughout the whole movie. Yeah, and he I looks guess like, like he's he wants to, to be elsewhere. Where Kirsten like, Dunst you know, my is humanity. True. Go ahead. Yeah, humanity is what? No, that's just that. Just like, oh, my humanity's gone. Like yeah. so, so now I talk like this. Kirsten Dunst is terrific in it. She is. She's really good. She is like that. Is an actress working in that movie? She is great. Um, one of the better like kid actors performances that I've seen. Like she's just so natural in that movie, and like she's it's a hard role because and in in the book she's younger, but it's a hard role because she needs to act like an adult as time goes on. And yeah. you believe you believe it. You believe that she's led a whole life and she's read books and she's an mentally an adult stuck in like a you know twelve year old's body. Um, but it is a much more condensed. It's got great cost. It's got great atmosphere. You know, it's got yeah. great costumes and sets. Like that whole them walking down the catacombs toward the end, like the the stairs leading to that giant room. It's yeah. just that's a great set piece. You know, but uh, I I really like Tom cruising i think he's having a blast i think he's relishing playing a different kind of character but um yeah it's it, it's it's fine which one are you voting for here i'm voting this is for tricky the, for you. i'm voting for the sixth sense because i am I, as well i feel i feel like the sixth sense is very good until its ending is bad i think it just kind of stops existing that it, it, it fizzles at the end in a way that really disappoints me but there's a lot of great stuff in it. Uh, whereas Interview with a Vampire came away at the end being like, I kind of liked that. Right. Uh, and also listening to Guns N' Roses cover uh, Sympathy oh for the Devil, my which God. was disastrous. That is not how the book ends, by the way. <laughs> it's, not, it's not one of those it's like greeting in- cards where you turn the last page and it goes, Please meet you. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just mean like the event that happens is not how the book ends. Okay. Um, yeah, that the, also was. The, yeah, the book ends in a much more satisfying way. Where like, I without giving any spoilers, where you know the guy who um, who the guy driving the car, yeah, he becomes infatuated with the idea, right? And he's like, "This is incredible! Like, you're wasting this gift and stuff." And Brad Pitt's like, uh, you know, Brad Pitt's like, "Okay, well, goodbye." And he's like, "No, wait." Yeah. And then uh, Brad Pitt leaves, and then. Um, he basically takes down the information. He he plays back the, the recording and writes down the address in New Orleans. And ah. so the book ends with like him being like basically implying that he's going to go seek out Tom stuff. Cruise. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a much more satisfying ending. We're like, he's been Brad Pitt's with this whole time being like, and it's awful. And then he's like, what are you talking about? You have all this power. It's great. And he's like, no, yeah. no, no. You thought of the wrong things. Um, but it's a very Hollywood ending that they chose for the, for the movie. Um, fun, uh, fun, fun piece of trivia about that, uh, terrible song, uh, led to the breakup of guns and roses kind of really. Cause appa- apparently like the, like the bassist or something of guns and roses was off, uh, was off like doing a solo tour mm-hmm. and the rest of the band just met up and recorded sympathy for the devil without oh, telling him ever. And he and he was like, "All right, well, I guess I'm out," because like Rolling Stones are one of my favorite bands, and like theoretically, I'm in this band, right? I'm in Guns and Roses, and you guys just did a song for a movie without calling me, and so I'm gonna go home now. It uh, another interesting piece of trivia is that Christian Slater's character was supposed to be played by River Phoenix. Oh, 
and then River Phoenix died uh, tragically. And so Christian Slade, who was a friend of Phoenix, signed on to do it almost at the last second um, kind of thing. Harder Road to Success, I mean, you know, Interview the Vampire had two huge stars, big budget. Yeah. Sixth Sense made based, just... Based on a book. <laughs> based on a book. Sixth Sense just made, like, eye-rollingly, and, like, just kind of like my brain can't co- compute amount of money. Yeah. So... But Bruce Willis was a big star in the few years before this. Yes. Uh, I mean, he had, yeah, he had Armageddon, but he wasn't. You know, co- <laughs> Let's not equate Bruce Willis in 1999 to Tom Hanks, to Tom Cruise in 1994. No, I, I, but yes, I, no, I, I agree. I, yeah. It it's is a six sense. Six sense did not have nothing going for it, but it had right. much less going for it. It was uh, also a Disney movie. It wasn't like made by like nobody. You know what I mean? Sure. It is a Disney. Buena Vista is the distribution. That's Disney. Um, Six Sense sweeps. It does. I do want to mention Interview of the Vampire, two Oscar nominations, and that thirty-six million opening weekend in nineteen ninety-four, I believe, was the high biggest opening weekend for an R-rated film. Wow, good for them. And then, and then it, you know, if if a movie had opened a thirty-six million dollars and then made one hundred and one hundred and five today, yeah, we'd all go, yes, that's correct. Back then, that was considered incredibly front-loaded. Okay. And so it didn't make as much as people were thinking after that opening, but um, it opened huge. Our next matchup, the four-seed Scream versus the five-seed Seven. Scream was released December 20th, 1996. It opened to $6 million, Noah. It went on to gross $103 million. That's very impressive. Seven opened September 22nd, 1995. Truly couldn't have opened on July 7th. Uh, opening weekend, $14 million, final gross of 100 Also uh, pretty impressive. Sure. Scream cost $14 million. It grossed 173 That's profit of 1236 I think. That's yes. uh, either that or 1123 Who's to say? Seven. Uh, I'll, I'll get that right on the next one. Seven. Opened a thirty, uh, sorry, cost thirty three. It grossed three twenty seven worldwide. That's a profit of nine ninety two. Very close. That's seven. Put up a good fight there. Nine ninety two is nothing to slouch at. But Scream does take game one. It does. Quality of movie for me it is a, a no brainer. I love seven. I think it's terrific. But it is Scream, which I think is a classic. Uh, and I uh, say the exact same thing, but with the titles flipped. You think uh, Seven is a classic? I think, uh, yeah, I think it's a classic, like of its genre. Mm. I think it is a, what I when I think of like the the sort of like hard R crime movie. Seven, I think, is is absolutely top tier. Uh, harder road to success. I'm going to go with Scream. It opened to less. It made more. Wes Craven wasn't, you know, he was a, he was a legend, but he hadn't, you know, he hadn't made his last movie. I think was vampire in Brooklyn starring Eddie Murphy. And, uh, he hadn't made a hit. Who were these? These were all TV people, right? Friends had been on the air for maybe two seasons. Nev Campbell was in, I think party of five think sorry i I was too young to watch the show so i don't know for sure and then seven had uh uh, brad pitt who was a year after interview the vampire he was a big deal and morgan freeman was a big name and and so i think that scream surprise success that christmas um gives it the harder road for me 
I think I think the uh, I think the cast of seven is probably uh, probably enough to give me that vote as well. I'll go scream, which is um, uh, now up three zero to you, but I only have it two to one, so seven lives. <laughs> so legacy scream has a sixty five on Metacritic, so does seven, and an Oscar nomination for editing. Uh, I mean, I could go on for days about the legacy of Scream, the slasher flick uh, rebirth, the horror film rebirth, the spoofing, just self-referential horror film re- rebirth. Those are all attributed to Scream, which uh, led a new renaissance in horror. Um, this goes to Scream for me as well. I think it's true. I think you're a... I think Seven has a very strong legacy. I think it is uh, incredibly well regarded. It's one of the uh, one of the early films of David Fincher, who yeah. is, uh, you know, I think I think some would say arguably the uh, greatest working director. Uh, depend depending on what you mean by great, but he's certainly up there. He also uh, needs to work. He needs to work more to earn that title. I don't know that that's true. Uh, what was his What was his movie before Mank? I. Well, he's been okay. He's been on. Uh, he's been on quite a. No, break. but like truly, well, it wasn't Dragon Tattoo, right? That's insane. Uh, well, I've got his IMDb up here, so I'll tell you. Uh, Dragon Tattoo, Gone, Gone Girl, Girl, obviously. I got there just as you did. Yeah, uh, that was seven seven years ago. Yeah, that was uh, that was twenty fourteen. Uh, yeah, six six years before Mank. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of years. Yeah, he was doing Mindhunter for a while. Okay, well, that was a waste of time. Let's go back to movies. I don't. I think. Uh, I think quite a few people would disagree with you. I'm just saying it's hard to keep the title of the greatest working director when you don't make movies. Make movies. Maybe. Come on. I. I'm just saying he's in the conversation. I uh, I agree. Five years ago, seven helped put him there, and it's just incredibly good. But I do, I do, I do ultimately agree. But we're talking about the movie, as far as the personnel. I, I, you know, that is a much stronger conversation for seven. I know that's why I was. uh, That's why, as I was saying, uh, I do ultimately agree that the legacy of Scream. Everybody hear that? That's as he was saying. He was in the (laughs) middle of saying it, but I interrupted him. (laughs) Uh, Extends beyond just it being a horror classic of itself, uh, but it extends into the scary movie franchise uh, and just has a, has a wider reach. So Scream, uh, Scream does win and uh, is moving on. Uh, Scream will take on The Sixth Sense, which is a wonderful matchup, next uh, two weeks from now. The three seed, The Silence of the Lambs, versus the six seed, Scream Two. The Silence of the uh, The Silence of the Lambs was released on Valentine's Day, nineteen ninety one, opening weekend, thirteen million dollars. Final growth. It couldn't have made that one extra million. <laughs> opened on the fourteenth, made fourteen. Come on. Final gross, one hundred thirty million dollars. Scream opened December twelfth, nineteen ninety seven, almost a year to the day. As the first scream opening weekend, thirty three. No, no. Don't look at. Don't look at the other thing. If right. it, crop good it. Point. I haven't seen crop it. it. Okay, we're good. We're okay. good. Uh, final gross one hundred and one million. But I mean that opening weekend for Scream Two. The first one opened to six. This opened to thirty three within a year. That, Crazy. That's much better. 
Sounds of the Lambs uh, had a budget of $19 million, a final gross of two seventy two. That's profit of $1,435. Scream 2 cost $24 million. Uh, I like that they only gave them $10 million more for the sequel. Uh, grossed $172 million worldwide, which is one less than the first. Just a very consistent number. Yeah. And a profit of seven. 18.1 goes to the silence of the lambs. I want to, uh, I just want to say real quick, I uh, unironically like that they only gave them 10 more million dollars because a scream sequel is the kind of movie that like just doesn't need more money. Right. Like you made the first one and like it doesn't, it didn't ever look cheap or look like wanting. Right. So why make Scream 2 for double the budget when you could just yeah. make it for the same it's thing? Like we're giving all our principal players an extra million dollars and you have the same amount of money for all of your props and shit. Have yeah, fun. Yeah, exactly. Do yeah. it again. Uh, quality of movie. I want to talk about Scream 2 because the winner is The Sounds of the Lambs, but Scream 2 is one of the uh, best modern sequels that we've had. Certainly could be up there with the best horror sequel of all time. It's just as good as the first Scream. In some respects, better. There's certainly an argument to be made, and it's just really, really fucking well done. Uh, Out of a daunting task of making a self-referential sequel to a self-referential original, bravo to everybody involved. It's terrific. But The Sounds of the Lambs is The Sounds of the Lambs, and that wins quality movie for me. Uh, Yes, I agree. I'm trying to think. I can't think of any good horror sequels off the top of my head uh all the good ones are hmm well the one i was thinking of would be evil dead 2 but my issue with that is they're just two different movies you know what i mean yeah and like even that i was i was i was gonna say that the only ones i can think of are movies that just ended up a different genre like right like like aliens aliens terminator 2 uh, both just became action movies and like evil dead Two just became a comedy bride bride of frankenstein is basically a comedy um yeah. i do want to mention dawn of the dead is is terrific okay um, sure yeah that's uh blade 2 is a different movie than blade that's also not a horror movie it's more action yeah. but uh, yeah like they're is better they're hard to do um yeah, they're which, seems, to do. which seems weird, but they are. Fingers crossed for Halloween Kills. Yeah, and that's just as uh, good as the first one. So, but yeah, Silence of the Lambs is uh, is an all timer, and and then uh, harder road to success. You know, th- this isn't so much as um, you know, the Silence of the Lambs making 130 is just crazy. It's more of just Scream making the Scream Two making the same amount of Scream just makes complete sense. And so therefore it's just sounds of the lambs. Cause the other one had no, I guess maybe it's a harder road because most horror sequels face a ro- Most sequels face erosion. Yeah. Right. So in that sense, yes. But at the same time, it was a year after the first one was a huge phenomenon. So it making the same amount, it's just like, Oh, well that, that works out. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that's right. It's not, it's not just completely like foregone conclusion. That's how scream two is going to do as well as scream. Cause that often doesn't happen. Right. Uh, but for being like basically just as good, uh, some, some might say better, some might say a little worse, but like basically just as good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It making the same, the same money. Just like, yeah, that's right. Uh, so the sounds of the lamb sweeps. It does. Scream 2 goes down. Uh, so let's see what the Sons of the Lambs face off against. Noah, don't scroll over just yet. I have not. 
The Blair Witch, the second seed, faces off against the seventh seed, Misery. Blair Witch was released July 16th, 1999. Its opening weekend was a $29 million expansion when it finally went wide. Final gross, 140. Misery opened on November 30th, 1990. Its opening weekend was $10 million and it made 61 total. Bigger profit relative to budget. I'm going to do Misery first. It opened... It- Cost twenty million dollars and it grossed sixty-one million total. It was not released worldwide, as far as I can see, okay. as far as I could find. So its profit is three hundred six, the lowest we have in this tournament. Uh, it might be the lowest. I don't know. Uh, Scoring big, the first point now. Go on. Uh, you would have anyway, because yes, Blair Witch is interesting, Noah, and I'll tell you why. Same issue we had with uh, Paranormal Activity. The movie was produced for sixty thousand dollars. Yeah. And then it was bought by a studio who had it edited professionally, added professional sound. They also reshot the ending a bunch, which bumped its total to 500,000. I'm going to split the difference there because initially after just the professional editing and uh, sound design and stuff like that for the movie, the budget was $200,000. And that's the movie that we got. It's not as much as the filmmakers initially spent but just what the movie that we saw cost. So I'm going to go oh, yeah. with 200000 Seems fair. It grossed $248 million. That's a profit of 124,319%. Ah! Now Amazing. You could, scroll, you could scroll over. And, you know what? I'm actually, while Wonderful. we're talking, I'm going to pull up the fucking uh, Paranormal Activity and see which one is uh, Please do. higher because I still have that. But now you can scroll over and look at that giant number in all of its glory. It makes me happy to see it. Point one goes to the Blair Witch Project. Quality of movie. Did you you rewatched Misery? We watched both of these actually, right? I did watch both of these. How uh, did they go? What are you picking? I uh, this turned out to be a much harder question than I thought it would be. Really? Uh, yeah, you I like, watched. You liked I watched, Blair Witch that much? I watched Misery first, mm-hmm. and it's just great. Just uh, fucking Kathy Bates is incredible. Uh, James Caan is really fucking good. He's very undersung in that movie. He's really, really good in that movie. Yeah. I, and like, just, just fucking keeps getting massacred and things. Him sweet talking her toward the end when he's like, I'm writing just for you. And she's like, well, he's very good. Yeah. Yeah. Just, but just keeps ending up in situations where someone can look at his body and be like, look how they massacred my boy. (laughs) Like, look what they did to his feet. I, Still just makes me fucking cringe. Uh, so Misery is incredible. And mm-hmm. I was really expecting to watch the Blair Witch Project and like really appreciate and respect it. But kind of think like I don't, this just this just doesn't work as well uh, outside of the context of like, is it real? Uh, but after about like 20 minutes of it, I really just got fucking hooked in. And I think just everyone involved in Blair Witch does an incredible job. I think it's I think it's like legitimately uh, creepy and kind of uh, unsettling. I think all three of the actors are like really good, especially wow. especially when you consider like you know we talked about this with Paranormal Activity, kind of the kind of like the not not being great actors, kind of being part of the charm of these movies, right? Like I think all three of these kids are way better than either of the actors in parent or yeah. in paranormal activity. Uh, That's that- uh, surprising because I'm pretty sure at least Heather, the, 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 uh-huh. the female in the movie was nominated for a Razzie and might've won. I don't remember. 
Okay. No, I I think well the Razzies are again incredibly stupid. I'm not... I'm using that as a point where the acting wasn't like immediately what comes to mind from that movie. Yeah, and it makes sense. I, was... I mean, they were amateur actors. It was their first? You know what I mean? Like you know, it's not. Yeah, not I, I think they I think they really sold it well, and I think they had an incredibly hard job, especially Heather, who's like hardly ever on camera, uh, mm. of just really like really inhabiting the character and really make making the viewer understand what the character is like right uh, when you just never see them uh, i think i think it's really uh, it's really legitimately like creepy and unsettling uh, once it once it really starts ramping up you really feel the panic in these kids and then like the ending the ending's great it works the the fucking shot in the corner being yeah. so disturbing as it is yeah that's uh, what was reshot that was the original ending and yeah. then they tested it and they they reshot a much bloodier ending and that they ended up keeping the ending that they had yeah uh so yeah i just, I, I i think it's i think it's legitimately great that's so surprising i always felt like it was the kind of movie where you weren't super high on i i i i, I, I had watched quarantine during uh I'd watch Misery during quarantine. I didn't watch quarantine, um, but I watched Misery. And I just knew that that would be my pick. I didn't watch Blair Witch. I'm not as high on Blair Witch apparently as you are. I find a lot of it grating uh, in the mid. Not a lot of it. I find certain parts grating. I, I remember specifically, and you just watch it. So you can tell me how it plays for you. The scene where she's complaining about the map. They're, they're standing by a creek. Yeah. And someone lost the map. And they keep saying over and over again, You lost the map. Why did you lose the map? The map and it's a it seems like it's an hour long. Well, see what's what's going on there is that uh in fact the third uh, their third guy, I think Mike or Bill or whatever, I don't remember their names, uh has had actually taken the map and thrown it in the creek. Okay. Uh, and he just revealed to them that he threw this after they spent like a day in the woods uh, thinking like that she had lost the map. Cause she was the last one to have it. And she's like, guys, what, what'd you do with the map? And they're like, we don't, we didn't do anything with the map. What'd you do with it? It's your map. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I fucking kicked it in the Creek because it's been doing dog shit for us. Yeah. Uh, I just, so, yeah, I remember that, was... that being a very annoying, like, just like this is scene needs to end. We need this to stop. It might be time for a rewatch for me, but Misery is just so well constructed and paced. Anytime he leaves that room in the second half is like terrifying. Yeah. Like him bumping into shit and putting shit back and you're just like, you need to get back to the room. Like, go back to the room. Like you're spending too much time out. Like I'm I'm screaming at the television. Kathy Bates gives like an all what a cool win. Am I right? She's yeah. a villain in a horror movie. It's such a big performance. What a great best actress win. James Kahn should have been nominated for an Oscar. Rob Reiner is just, it's such a great, great tense. I mean, don't you know? Don't even get me started on Rob Reiner. But it's such a great, great tense. Um what's the term uh for TV shows that takes place in one location? cabin a what is bottle it? episode yeah it's a bottle movie it takes place in one thing and it is just so creative and well done and scary and funny it's funny too it's really it good 
And so I, my, I, I, I texted you a fucking Kathy Bates going like, it was, a, it was a big bastard of a check. Where's my Christing money? Is that how you talk at the bank? I'm like, I wish it is. I, uh, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. I love it so much. I am. I am going to vote misery here as well. Uh, right. But I do. I do think you should give Blair Witch another shot because I think. I think. Well, it, it, as it soon as I can watch it with another person in the daytime, I will because it's too scary for Brian. Uh, by the way, my big fat Greek wedding had a profit of seven thousand. Okay, that's so all. Wait, yeah. Wow, I guess that costs like five million or whatever. So sure. Paranormal Activity. 89,000. So Blair Witch still 124 wild. Uh, so we're, we're tied 1-1. One, one. Yes. Harder road to success. Oh, Blair Witch. So we yes. have 2-1. <laughs> and then legacy of the movie itself. Blair Witch. I mean, yeah. there's not, I mean, it, 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 it spawned the found footage. It's, it, it, it was like a micro budget thing. It, it, it was like the, it was one of the first things to really successfully implement, um, online marketing campaigns and just like, you know, fake movies that use, you know, what Cloverfield did and paranormal activity and just these websites where these, the, all everything in it seemed real and that built the audience. So if it was revolutionary. And so, yeah. yes, think, obviously Blair Witch. I think the Blair Witch project is to me, the example of like a, a tiny movie made by a couple of assholes for nothing turning into a, a like cultural phenomenon. Yeah. You know, and you've got paranormal activity, you've got like clerks. Uh, there's, there's, there's a bunch of examples of like, just, just people making a movie that turns into like, Oh shit, this is like a real movie in theaters and people like it. Some, uh, um, some October, maybe this October, we should have an, a night where we watch all three of them. We watch the Blair witch. We watch book of shadows and we watch Blair witch. Oh God. Sure, fine. Listen, <laughs> how bad could Blair Witch be? Adam Weingard direct? I'm bad could it be? And it Book of be. Shadows, Book of Shadows is notoriously bad, so that'll be fun. It'll just be interesting. It came out like the year after or something. I mean, yeah, sure, sure. I think we should, yeah. And how long could they be? <laughs> how, bet, how long I is bet, the first I, Blair I, Witch? Uh, it's not that long. I bet you Blair Witch is over two hours. I would, okay. How much do you want to bet on that? Hang on. How much uh, do you want to bet on that? I I will bet you a, a beer next time we can go to a bar. All right, fine, fine. Go ahead. Go ahead okay. and it I have no okay. idea, but I can't. There's no doubt in my mind it's less than two hours long. Ah, uh, but all right. No, wait, hang on. That's for the Blair Witch Project. Damn you. Uh, here we go. Oh, look at that poster. It's so good. Why did the movie suck? It's a great poster, yeah. Uh, oh, it's available on Pluto TV. All right, I owe you a drink. It's an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. But how long would the woods have been is the real question. It was a great idea for a marketing campaign, but it's yeah. just a shame it didn't work. Uh, Blair Witch moves on. It does. I mean, there's nothing to say. It sucks for misery, but Blair Witch is a power player in this I, tournament. Yeah, I... Blair Witch is kind of the movie I've been waiting for. Uh, for wow. since, since, since we started moving back in the decades, and I'm like, oh yeah, like we're gonna keep talking about the legacy and like, oh shit, like Blair, Blair, Blair Witch. I think is just one of the one of the greatest like pieces of movie trivia, one of the greatest like success stories. Yeah, 
that we have, and I, I really hope it does well. Our final division of the episode. Oh, let me give the matchups. Uh, I've already deleted the thing, but what is it? It is uh, the Sixth Sense going up against Scream and the Silence of the Lambs going up against Player Witch. I can't tell you how like th- already these matchups neck in two weeks seem monumental in scale. Yeah, yeah they for do. all for all of these divisions, it's wild. Yeah, even you know, think think back to the two thousands. Like we had to get to the finals before the horror division was like interesting. Yeah, uh, but here it's like, oh my god! Either the Silence of the Lambs, the best picture horror winner, or the the Blair Witch. One of them will not even make it to the finals in their division. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, moving on to our final division, the Steven Spielberg division. We're talking about franchise starters, the ones that started it all. Uh, the matchups, the one seed Jurassic Park versus the eight seed, the mummy, the four seed men in black against the fifth seed home alone, the three seed toy story against the six seed mission impossible and the two seed, the matrix versus the seven seed rush hour. Jurassic Park was released June 11th, 1993 opening weekend. $50 million, a final gross of $357. Number, oh, no, we're not doing that yet. The Mummy was released May 7th, 1999. Opening weekend, $43 million, and a final gross of $155. Jurassic Park cost $63 million to make. Its gross was $912 worldwide. That's profit of $1,448. The Mummy cost $80 million. Its gross was $416. That's a profit of $520.1 goes to Jurassic Park. Quality and movie, you didn't rewatch either of these, correct? I did not. I didn't end up uh, having the time, but I decided that it was. It didn't really matter. Yeah, it is Jurassic Park. It's just a yeah. monumental entertainment. So. I, uh, I, I, I fucking love the Mummy. I, I watched the shit out of that movie as a kid, and I think it it's really great. But as far as just like entertainment goes, Jurassic Park, I think might just be kind of perfect. It really is. Everything works about it. The The Mummy is... I saw the second one first. A uh, very famous story of mine. I was in fifth grade after school program. The counselor who came from a, a high school of some sort to, to just kind of be in charge of us after school said who I had a crush on because I was in fifth grade and she was cute. And she said, who's seeing The Mummy? It was must have been May 7th, Noah, 1999. She said, no, sorry. It was May something, 2001. She said, who's seeing The Mummy Returns this weekend? And I went, me. Yeah. And then I, my mom picked me up and I said, we're going to see The Mummy Returns. And she said, why? And I said, I don't know, because we hadn't seen it. My mom doesn't even like bug stuff. And we saw it and I thought it was great. I also thought it was pretty cool because I was 10. And it was like, it, was, it, was, it wasn't it was scary, but it was scary. You know, those sure. monkey things, those monkey things are taking people down. But anyway, I saw the first one after that. And it's more of a horror film, so I wasn't as into it. But as, uh, you know, the years have gone on, it's clearly the better film. And it is just like Rachel, like Brendan Fraser is... It's such, I really think it's one of, it should go in the annals of like great pitch perfect performances in action movies. Yeah. He is so good as Rick O'Connell. Um, just absolutely terrific. And uh, so I like the first two equally, but the mummy is probably the better movie and just, it's fantastic, but no, it, it's, it's Jurassic Park. I mean, yeah. What are we going to do? You, there's nothing to be done. It's incredibly good. And then Harder Road to Success, Noah, is is Jurassic Park it overtaking Steven Spielberg's own E.T. for the number one film of all time? Is it uh, is it the idea that it made that much money? Or is The Mummy, which, you know, 
Brendan Fraser, he was in a bunch of stuff. He wasn't like a big superstar, but he was in stuff. Him leading a movie to 155, even though The Mummy was marketed as a big action movie, you know? Yeah. So this, what's what's harder here? This could just be my heart wanting to throw The Mummy a bone here, but I'm going to say that uh, Jurassic Park being kind of the the pinnacle of what, like, I don't, I don't know how best to put this, but like when you when you think about like what's what's the surest bet for Spielberg, it's like a big it's a Amistad. big action adventure kind of movie, right? Uh, like yeah, yeah, exactly. He's yeah. he's obviously capable of many things, but if you had if you had to pick one thing, like what's what's going to be a hit for Spielberg? It's Slavery. like it's a, it's a sure. <laughs> Would you would you like to would you like to nominate Amistad retroactively for the tournament? I thought we were just saving Amistad to just be like, okay, so we have the winner of these movies, and now they will face Amistad for the title, the secret final boss. (laughs) Amistad uh, off mic did defeat Batman Forever (laughs) for that role. It was a play-in tournament. I, but yeah, I think Jurassic Park is kind of the the boilerplate of like what, what a big fun, successful Spielberg movie can be with Spielberg at the helm. Uh, I'm going to vote for the mummy here. I will too. I think that sounds like fun. Let's vote for the mummy. Sure. All right. Uh, Legacy. Uh, Jurassic Park was the number one film in 1993. It became the number one film of all time. 68 on Metacritic. It won all three of the Oscars. It was nominated for including, Best Screenplay, Best Makeup and Hairstyling, and Best Supporting Actress, Laura Dern. Uh, the Mummy had a 48 on Metacritic and one Oscar nomination, which was Best Foreign, best foreign Language Film, which it didn't win. Let me ask you this. Hmm. Uh, do you think, and whether or not you agree doesn't matter, but do you think that Jurassic Park has a case, has a place in the discussion for Spielberg's greatest movie? Not his best, but his greatest. Yeah, I do. Okay, I agree. I think I think it's in that conversation. I don't think I would pick it, but it's got to be one of the contenders. I was joking about all those Oscars, by the way. Interesting. It wasn't didn't win best makeup and or best supporting actress. <laughs> I thought you it, said, I thought you just didn't nominate. I know it didn't win those things. No, it, no, it, it it won every Oscars nominee. It won all three. It was nominated oh, for, and it was it, it was all the technicals, you know, okay, sound, sure. visual effects. It was that stuff. But I thought I'd throw in some funny ones, which apparently sounded real. <laughs> Laura Dern might have been nominated for best. I missed. Oh, no, she I, wouldn't I, be nominated. Tommy Lee Jones won for The Fugitive. What does Laura Dern do in Jurassic Park? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Maybe they knew what she would become to us. All right. <laughs> Maybe. Just being society. Um, uh, yeah, it's Jurassic Park. Anyway, yeah. Jur- Jurassic the, Park the, moves the on. The point of that question is Jurassic Park as the greater <laughs> legacy. Jurassic Park moves on. Uh, Men in Black, the four seed versus... Home Alone, the fifth seed. This is a weird matchup. <laughs> Very Men, interesting. Men in Black, Black was released July 2nd, 1997. Opening weekend, 51 over its three-day, 84 over the five-day. Final gross, 250. Home Alone was released November 16th, 1990. Opening weekend, $17 million. Its final gross was 285. Men in Black cost $90 million. It grossed $589. That's profit of $655. Home Alone cost $18. It grossed $476. 
That's profit of 2,642. There's your other 2,000, Noah. Yeah. Uh, point one goes to Home Alone. Quality of movie. Uh, we're both going to say Men in Black here. I yes. Think. Uh, having recently revisited Men in Black, among other movies, uh, turns out it's actually great. Capital G, great. Every it is, part of yeah. it works. And I like Home Alone more than Noah. But was it, we did just do a whole podcast called Getting Willy With It with our good friend Amado. It's of Thinking Outside the Boombox. And we watched all of Will Smith's blockbuster movies. So it is weird looking at Men in Black through this context <laughs> And Independence yeah. Day later, it's just going to be very yeah. Strange. I felt that same about Independence. Like it's very strange. yeah. It's going to be very strange. Um, harder road to success. I mean, Home Alone. I can't, I don't know. It's tough because like both of them. I think it might be Home Alone because it's a bigger gross from earlier in the decade. It, yeah, it's a bigger gross from earlier with like even let. Like Will Smith was not a big movie star yet, but no, he was not an unknown, right? Whereas Home Alone was on the back of a child. Okay, and so Joe it's Pesci, t- <laughs> who I who I don't want to discount. I mean, I will say that John Hughes wrote Home Alone, and he sure. was a big deal. But I I agree. I think that it made more money in uh, uh, seven years earlier. I do think it's going to be home due to a kid going, ah, he did do that. <laughs> that that's why it made a scene, money. which makes no sense. <laughs> do you know why it makes no sense? Noah? I no, I don't, but I'm, what, I'm, what is he, what, what is he splashing on his face? Aftershave. And why would aftershave sting somebody? I don't know. I don't use it. It would sting because you've just shaved your face. Yeah. And you've opened pores, you know, and you put it on and it just, you know what I mean? It's like if you, that that's why. It's a sure. refreshing okay. thing. He shaves, you know, he does the thing where he, he has the thing on right. and he shaves the shimmer. He has no hair on his face. No, he does not. There's no reason for that to hurt. There's so nothing new. isn't just like acidic? I don't think so. I, I, I don't, it might be, but in my mind, it's because you've just shaved your face and there's new air hole you know whatever i don't know what okay. happens when you shave but um your skin's just more exposed it might still no, you add a bunch of air idea. holes speed holes <laughs> <laughs> they make you go faster <laughs> just go inside Ooh, some of these for the flanders mobile um <laughs> so late we it shouldn't is. have started this late I, um I, I, I desperately need to go to bed why it's just been a very long week anyway what are we on uh so home alone took harder road to success it so is it's up two two one and now we go on to legacy men in black was the number two film of 1997 it was the number two comic adaptation of all time 71 on Metacritic, three Oscar nominations, one win. What did it win, Noah? Uh, Men in Black won Best Supporting Actor for Tommy Lee Jones. Come on, you know what it won. No, you know I, what it won. Yeah, I do, but it's uh, escaping me. Is it Makeup? makeup? Rick yeah, Baker. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Home Alone, was the number, Home Alone was the number one film of 1990. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking asshole. Number one live action comedy of all time. 63 on Metacritic, two Oscar nominations. Um. So for the, I feel like this is Home Alone too, man. Home Alone's a huge deal. It is. Uh. So 
I'll I'll make the Men in Black case. Uh, for the movie itself, yes. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's really good. Now, I guess. Yeah, I guess just for the movie itself, it's Home Alone. It's it's beloved. It's like a top tier Christmas it's, movie. It's a Christmas classic. I mean, yeah. there's not. It's going to be real hard for Home Alone. Yeah. I, I, you I, know, again, I, think, I, I think, can't. I can't. I can't overstate this enough. Uh, Macaulay Culkin goes ah. <laughs> he does. He also calls someone a filthy animal. Um, <laughs> Which is rude. And the bandits want to be called the wet bandits. So, um, <laughs> no, stop. Yeah, don't, don't keep don't, that joke don't, for don't. me. Oh, great. You could hold it tight. And just before you go to sleep, think about it and just go, <laughs> and then you can go right to sleep. Um, Home Alone takes it. I mean, I, I, yeah. I hate to say it. I think Men in Black's a strong contender, but Home Alone is just too goddamn beloved by a lot of people. Men, Men in Black uh, got its due from uh, from us here at What's in the Box Office, so I'm, Home Alone, I'm, I'm all right with it. Home Alone takes on Jurassic Park in a doozy of a matchup. If I don't say it's so, gonna, if I do, it's going to get myself. fucking like eaten, like it's hiding in a toilet. I don't, I don't know. No, I think there's a lot of conversation there, Maybe. but we'll talk about that in two weeks. Toy Story, the three seed against the six seed Mission Impossible. Toy Story. Released November 22nd, 1995. Opening weekend, 29 million. Over its first five days, 39. Has it opened on a Wednesday? Final gross, 191. Mission Impossible was released May 22nd, 1996. Opening weekend, 45, 64 for its five day. Final gross, 181. Toy Story cost $30 million, and I checked that about four times because that's like Pixar movies now cost $200 million, So yes. it's just. Anyway, it cost $30 million. So they're spending too much money. Which is crazy. They could have done it. They could have done well, for listen, 30. The effects in Toy Story are weak. Now, when you rewatch it, you're like, oh, boy. <laughs> um, its gross was 244 worldwide, a profit of 815 which I was like, that's low. Mission Impossible has this. Nope. Mission Impossible had a budget of $80 million. It grossed 457 See, there, right? Mission Impossible cost fifty million more than Toy Story, but it made two hundred million more. Yeah, and yet a profit of five seventy two, three hundred percent lower than Toy Story. Toy Story takes game one. Yeah, uh, I think I think I, I think the better way to look at it is like Mission Impossible like basically made twice as much money as Toy Story. But it almost cost three times as much as Toy yeah, Story. Yeah, that's probably the way to do it. So, like, it makes a little more sense when you put it that way. Toy Mission Story take game one, though. Mission Impossible's about to get its shit spanked here. I mean, quality movies, Toy Story for me. No, what about you? I agree. I do want to. I do want to speak to Mission Impossible briefly and say that I just think it's really good. Uh, I like I Mission Impossible a lot really, too. I think it yeah. holds up really well as a. Uh, as just like a sort of espionage uh, spy kind of movie. Uh, Tom Cruise is really good in it. Uh, fucking John Voight is around, which is just like, I feel like he's I mean, in a I lot feel of like I've talked more about John Voight in 2021 than I've ever talked about John Voight before. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Coming soon to our feed. Uh, uh, Voight in the hood. I don't know. I can't. I could Voight in the on. hood. The, 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 I just Voight kind of sounds like boys. It's got that oi sound and boys in the hood was the first thing I went to. Listen, uh, if we can workshop the name, <laughs> if you want, 
I think it's not bad. Uh, <laughs> Voight to men. <laughs> the Voight. Uh, but I, yeah, I think Toy Story 1 is the best Toy Story movie. Into and, the Voight. Okay. And out of the Voight and home before dark. <laughs> it's like Enter the, the Void. I know. That's a movie. Yeah. Uh, avoid the Noid. Avoid uh, to remember. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I think I think we're good. Uh, I'll, I'll let you have the last one there. Uh, yeah, I think Toy Story 1 is the best Toy Story movie, and that's a high bar to climb, uh, and it wins quality of movie here. Harder to... Sure. Harder Road to Success is also Toy Story for me. I think yep. Tom Tom Cruise is the biggest star in the world. No brainer. Uh, Toy Story is this revolutionary new animation film. Who knows how it'll perform, especially in the midst of the Disney hand-drawn uh, peak. Yeah. Yeah, this is kind of like, you know, the the 3D animation was not a thing yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, still kind of shocks me that it started in 1995. <laughs> And uh, I also say that, so Toy Story moves on, and I would also say Toy Story probably wins the, at least the first Legacy as well. Um, but yeah. uh, Mission Impossible does have a case, but Toy Stories might have one of the best uh, first Legacy fights of any movie on any of these lists. But the uh, the respectful part of our podcast is that we don't have to see Mission Impossible lose five to nothing. It only loses three to nothing. That's right. The second seed, The Matrix, will go up against the seventh seed, Rush Hour. The Matrix released March 31st, 1999. Opening weekend, 27 million, 37 for its five-day final gross, 171. Rush Hour was released September 18th, 1998, where it grossed an opening weekend of $33 million, which was the highest September opening weekend in history, and a final gross of 141. The Matrix cost $63 million. It grossed 463. That's a profit of 375. And Rush Hour cost thirty three. It grossed two forty four, and it beats The Matrix by five percentage points, seven forty to seven thirty five. Game one goes to Rush Hour. That is very close. It's very close. Uh, quality of movie. This goes. I love Rush Hour. I love the Rush Hour series. I love two, three is whatever, but the first two are. Those are the first one, and the second one are just fucking great. But the Matrix is the Matrix, and so it is better. So the Matrix gets my my point. An action classic, I agree. The Matrix is better. Um, Harder road to success. I'm going to throw it to Rush Hour. Uh, I think the 141 is a huge number. Uh, Chris Tucker had been in a few things, but was not a star. Jackie Chan, as far as I can recall, was uh, in. You know, he was huge in, in in his native land of China. The uh, some of his movies that come over here, some of them had done a little well, but nothing over $30 million, I don't think. This was his first big action performance in 141 with two people that you aren't box office stars. You know, The Matrix had Keanu Reeves, who was in Speed four years earlier, right? Lawrence Fishburne was an Oscar-nominated uh, actor. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, The Matrix overperformed and certainly led to a uh, a big, you know, obviously, whatever. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But as far as harder road to success, I think Rush Hour making 141 is more impressive than The Matrix making 171. Do you think there's anything to be said for The Matrix being weird? 
and like it's like it's about virtual reality and like no because like you know total recall made money that's weird it takes place on mars you know what i mean like blade blade runner didn't make any money but like terminator 2 is kind of weird it's about especially just the idea of like especially the first terminator 2 also you know coming back in time but then he ends up father you know people are fine with heady stuff it is more weird, but I think it is more generic in its action sequences than we give. You know, it's revolutionary, but it's still guns and shooting and cool fight sure. moves. You know what I mean? Um, okay. Yeah, I, th- I, it, think, it just, I think you've... I, I, I think it just had a bigger star at the time. I think you've convinced me there. I'll vote Rush Hour. Two to one Rush Hour. Uh, and then I think Legacy, both of them are just going to go to... Well, maybe not both of them, but certainly the first one's going to go to The Matrix. Yes, The Matrix has a... Much greater legacy than Rush Hour, and that's really just kind of without question. So uh, now we're let's tied. Talk about the people involved. You know, say what you want about Chris Tucker's career, but Keanu Reeves had already been a thing at that point. Um, the Wachowski sisters had made a few movies, but even since then, right, they haven't really done a whole lot as far as success, unfortunately. And then. Uh, uh, Rush Hour gave us Jackie Chan, who was one of the biggest stars for the next decade. And uh, and I think that that's, that might put Rush Hour in this as far as the personnel of the film, you know? I think uh, I think you're way too quick to discount Keanu Reeves. Like, just, just because he had been in stuff before, I think The Matrix is a much bigger part of his legacy than, you know, Speed or Point Break or anything that came before it. I, I think that's probably true of, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I guess I don't know enough about Lawrence Fishburne's broader career to make that case for sure. But I bet, I bet it's, I bet it's top three most important Lawrence Fishburne movies. Uh, yeah, it's I think, I think it's probably, Top three with Boys in the Hood and um, What's Love Got to Do with It? I, uh, I mean, it did, uh, it did launch the Wachowski sisters' careers, which has mm-hmm. been, you know, rocky but ongoing. I mean, we can say that we could throw that right back to Brett Ratner and the Rush Hour. Yeah, did did Rush Hour uh, launch Brett? I, I can't think of a movie he had done before it. I'll look it up. Yeah. As much as a piece of shit as he is. Uh, he had done Money Talks, which was his directorial debut with Chris Tucker the year before with Charlie Sheen. And uh, that didn't make money. And then the year after that, he did this. And then The Family Man, Rush Hour 2, Red Dragon, X-Men 3, you know. The Pretty Decent Hercules was his last movie because he's canceled now. But, uh, you know, yeah. I, I think that he, he was a big director uh, for 10 years or so. And so you're – so basically I guess what this comes down to is uh, – What this comes down to is Jackie Chan and Keanu Reeves. Yeah. And and I think that because – I agree, this this was the second phase of Keanu's career, right? It was Parenthood, Bill and Ted, this, and then John Wick. 
But as far as this being like the second phase of his career, um, he had he he starred in big movies before this, successful movies before this. This was audience's first introduction to Jackie Chan, who was one of the quintessential action stars of his generation to American audiences. I think I think that this might go to Russia. I think that the Jackie Chan factor is stronger than Keanu. I don't know that I'm as I guess kind of impressed by Jackie Chan's uh, American action career as you, because I, th- I think that's what this is like. Rush Hour wasn't audiences' introduction to Jackie Chan; it was American audiences' introduction to Jackie Chan, right? And so, so that that makes me think of like. What is what is his legacy as an American action star? And I don't I don't know that I think it's as big as Keanu's. What is Keanu's post Matrix pre John Wick action star? They because uh, if if we're equating time periods, then we're we're we're, we're talking about post Matrix because the Matrix is the legacy on Keanu Reeves' career. Yeah, pre John Wick because John Wick was his next big comeback. Yeah, uh, it. So name one movie that Keanu was action film that he was in after The Matrix before John Wick. Um, I can't off the top of my head. I know it's it's you know he did like The Lake House. He did uh, something's got to give. He did The Day the Earth Stood Still. I'm trying to think of others off my dome. Whereas I can name Chan's, they weren't good, and some of them made more money. But like the Tuxedo Shang, the Shanghai Noons are great, but the Tuxedo Spy Next Door. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm yeah. not, you know, he made a lot I, of movies for kids. I agree, but I'm just, yeah, I don't, I don't, th- I don't think any of those. Uh, yeah. We can also just split. We don't have to convince each other. Yeah, I think I think that's true, and I think that might uh, yeah. that might end up. Being I what just happens. I, I don't, do, really I don't know what where it the Matrix launched Keanu Reeves into, but I know exactly how the Rush Hour affected Jackie Chan's career. Uh, yeah, he he, he 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 became a star because of it. I'm going with Jackie Chan for All the right. second. And I am. Uh, I'm going to stick with the Matrix just because I don't I don't think Jackie Chan was like just in terms of American audiences like ever ever reached i don't think he ever reached the height of uh, of being in like being in a matrix or even being in a john wick yeah but what did i just, like the but the keanu reeves didn't do anything of note post like the matrix led to him doing nothing of note action wise he was took a lot of downtime sure i just but i i i think you'd I'm I'm considering the Matrix itself in that, and I think I think just being being in the Matrix for Keanu is a bigger deal than kind of what Jackie Chan got up to on our shores. Okay, so where does that leave us? So that leaves us tied three two each. Okay, and then the tiebreaker is domestic gross, and that goes to the Matrix. All right. Do you uh, do you have the uh, do you have the numbers? Or did you just uh, look them up and get rid of them already? 
No, they're on the page. Oh, of final... course they are. Of course they're on the page. Yeah, the final gross, 171 for The Matrix, 141 oh. for Rush Hour. Obviously, that is the case. So then for the Steven Spielberg uh, division, he remains in his division namesake. Jurassic Park takes on Home Alone, and Toy Story takes on The Matrix. That'll be in two weeks. Um, and uh, let's take a long-awaited uh, break. Word from our sponsor. This edition of Multiplex Madness Forever is brought to you by Shrek Forever After. Critics everywhere are being a little too morbid in their reviews, all right, guys? Paul Burns of the Sydney Morning Herald writes, Shrek 4 shows all the signs of Mortis Equus Syndrome, as in flogging the horse, which is not just sleeping. Which, first of all, way to explain the joke there, pal. You know, like it's Mortis Equus. A lot of U's going on in Mortis Equus. But like, I think we get it. And if we don't get it, then it's not made better by you being like, what I mean is that they're beating a dead horse. Also, you're a professional reviewer, so fuck you for saying Shrek 4. You know what the movie's called. That's if he the... had said if he had said the fourth Shrek uh-huh. suffers from, that I'm fine with. Because you're describe you're describing the movie. This is the fourth Shrek. But just saying Shrek 4, that's not the title. This is another great point. Get off your high horse. It's called Shrek Forever After. Say what it's called. You piece it has of shit. a title. Love it. Shrek Forever After. No, not that Equus. Everyone keeps their pants on in this one. And we're back. Come and gone from a theater near you, Brian. Are you ready to go back in time? Thank God we didn't do a game. I know. <laughs> Next week. Let's let's we play might. a game now. Go back in yeah. time, please. Uh, all right, we're going to 2006, the year 2006, week 12. What is my date? What am I March doing? 24th. Monsters vs. Aliens. Incorrect. But I bet I'm close. Ice Age, the meltdown. Incorrect. Fuck. Is Ice Age on the list? No, unless it's very far oh, down. Oh, son of a bitch. No, you're a little how too many, early on both of those things. How many movies am I getting? I... Really, just one. I think I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look up this other one to see if I know what the hell it is. I don't recognize the title. Did uh, we see this movie? I the first. Yes, yes, we did. Do we see it together? I, no, and I didn't see it in theaters. I saw. Oh my god. Okay, never mind. I do know March what March 2006. So we we were like eight months into knowing each other. Sure. This was a. Uh, what kind of movie is it? It's a it's an adult a crime movie. No, give me some more. All right, we were recently Ma- talking uh, about it. Inside Man. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is exactly right. You know what? I said Man on Fire. I was going to say Man on Fire. I knew that was oh four, so I thought of Inside Man before you said we were just talking about it. But yeah. Okay. All right, that op- I'm going to get this right. That opened to, oh, I don't want to lowball, but my, mm, I was going to say 26. I'm going to bump it to 29. Uh, good instinct. It was 28.9. Yeah. Uh, that did open at number one this weekend. I did, I did see that in theaters. Uh, 
I saw it on video shortly after and wasn't impressed at the time, but I'm sure. Mm, neither I'm was just, I. I'm certain I would be really into it. I wasn't impressed days. at the time either, and it, it I've rewatched it during quarantine. It is very good, yeah. I. So now we're going for the number three film. Okay. Which I did not recognize by title, but as soon as I learned what it was, I, I realized, of course, I must make you guess this movie. I. Okay. Speaking of uh, speaking of us uh, having recently met each other, uh, this was a one of our one of our early sort of uh, formative uh, bonding over bad movie quotes. Oh, instances. Shit! Is it the Marine? No. no, it is not. No, that was the summer. A bad movie quote. Oh, oh man. I need uh, more. Yeah. Nah. Okay. And we're talking specifically a trailer quote here. This is a... Uh, it's not Tokyo Drift. I, I, no, but it's it's in that vein for sure. Uh, you're looking for a... Uh, I think it's a horror. I think you'd call it. Sort of a like high concept teen horror. Okay, so like the prom or uh, one miss call, one miss call. Uh, no. D- um, d- uh, the uh, the high concept, it- and I'm th- I'm thinking like really we're we're really looking for high concept here, uh, a little more than just there's a killer on the loose, but. Uh, well, so okay, it's not one miss call, but what is is is, is the quote the? That's not my ringtone. That is not the quote. That is from One Miss Call, but that's not. Yeah, okay. I just wanted to know if I had that right. Because that is also one of our trailer bad horror movie quotes. Um, Let's see. Uh, I'm going to go for some cast members that aren't the main guy that will give it away. Uh, This movie features Milo Ventimiglia. Okay. uh, And Uh Adam Goldberg. Uh, I don't reckon Sophia Bush, Jimmy Simpson, John yeah, Foster. These are, all, these are all. Well, I don't know who that is. Uh, Samir Armstrong. No, I need more Noah. I'm really okay, sorry. I'm gonna give you the main guy because we're running. Uh, we're running a long one here. Yeah. Frank Munez. <laughs> <laughs> what was that movie called? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Hold on. I only know because I'm looking hold at on, it. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on. It, was, it wasn't like, was it called Game Over? Was that no. not? No, it was not. Shit. You die in the game, you die for real. That is the quote. What does it start with? S. What letter? Oh, boy, that doesn't help. That's not where I thought you were going. S. Some die in the game. <laughs> and they of. also die for real. So, no. if the if you die in the game, you die for real. So, what does that mean? You want to do? Stay alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I eventually saw that at some point. Oh, that would be a great watch because it 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 would be fun to watch like the old video game tropes that they're trying to play off of too. Sure. Like just. Oh boy. It was okay. it was distributed by uh, Disney Motion Pictures. I wonder if it's on Disney Plus. I'm sure it is. Um, all right, great. That opened to 14, 13. 10.7. Yeah, that didn't do well. Uh, not going to have you guess, but this weekend also saw the release of Larry the Cable Guy Health Inspector. Oh, boy. In seventh place at 6.9 million. 
Oh no, but his big screen career, what will happen? Yeah, he sucked. All right, uh, that's it, right? Yeah, next that's week. Right. Next week we begin uh, the Lawrence of Arabia conference. We're talking uh, family films. We're talking romantic comedies, action films. We're talking sequels. Guys, I'm talking like Terminator 2, Austin Powers Spy Who Shagged Me, uh, Batman Returns. I'm talking like The Lion King, Aladdin, Pretty Woman, My Best Friend's Wedding, You've Got Mail. I'm talking Independence Day, Armageddon. We got a lot, a lot of exciting 90s movies coming up next week. Uh, join us then. No, plug us up. You can come find us at what's in the box We are on Twitter at witboxoffice. That is also our Instagram handle. I am on Twitter at Noah Drukey. I'm at Brian DeSerber, D A S U R B E R. Of course, the feed for our podcast can be found anywhere podcasts are found. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Stitcher. Uh, come on, uh, come on, get in the game. We're running long, so I'll keep it short. We'd love to have you. Uh, thank you so much for listening. This has been What's in the Box Office. I've been your host, Brian. I've been your host, Noah. Thanks for listening. And in case we don't see you, Good afternoon, good evening, and good night.